Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan, David Haw. Holy God, were the Bulls awful. It didn't rain jump shots. It hailed. They were brick. And the Bulls just look flat. They have injuries. Yes, no excuse, though. How far will they go? Here's how you don't get into the... the Here's how you play yourself out of the play-in. That's exactly That's it. Oh, Cleveland's coming in hot. Max Struess, 59-footer at the buzzer. Struess from midcourt. But, but let me ask you this question. Okay. Who makes more threes in this game? Huh. Is it Max Struess, your beloved friend Max Struess, who went... Struess on the loose! And the Bulls... Well, who I want to make more threes and who will make more threes, same guy, Struess. He's going to have seven more tonight. Bulls are going to be six for 31. Loss. Put that Struess juice in it and knock it back. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 670 The Score. I listen to you on the way to work every morning. I appreciate all the work you guys do. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The Bulls, a big winner. A big winner in double overtime last night, 132 to 123. Because that's the NBA, baby. That's what happens as you march through an NBA season. You beat a team that you've lost to seven consecutive times because you just lost the game to a team you should have beaten, but you lost it twice this year. Morning, weird, morning. weird Yes, league, very weird night. Good Thursday morning. The Bulls follow up the worst loss of the season with yeah. maybe the best. Pretty maybe good the one. best. Yeah, good one. Well, they definitely were shorthanded. 
They oh, definitely yeah. were playing the, one of the better teams in the conference after a two for twenty nine performance from three. It wasn't like they lit it up. No, they were thirteen uh, to thirty seven yeah. from three. But my guy Struess was three for ten. So thank you, Brandon, yeah. for pointing out that bad prediction once again. Yeah, you put the Malecki on him. I think I did. You did. But, I, I mean, look, he, uh, you know, DeMar DeRozan said he was up till 6 in the morning trying to figure out how they lost to Cleveland. That one bothered the hell out of him. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. He played 48 minutes last night. DeMar DeRozan is leading the league in minutes. That's crazy. And you know who number two is? Kobe White. Well, Kobe still has some shooting issues. He was uh, 14, 12 assists, 8 rebounds. He played 50 minutes, but he's not hitting shots. Two now. for that's, 13 from three-point range. That's a little rough. That's not good, no but they came back. And but I, Andre Drummond was there to clean up those misses. Well, when you have 74 rebounds, it means you missed a lot of shots, yes. but you were in the right place at the right time when they were carrying off the, the rim. Drummond had 25 rebounds. The, the Bulls as a team had as many rebounds as what since 2015 2016 something like that it was ridiculous historic night at the united center who knew yeah who knew who because saw that coming i didn't see that coming i thought the Cavs were going to take care of business they were coming in uh after an emotional victory themselves yeah they hit a mid-court shot <laughs> was so lucky good about Cleveland. Ah, you like cleveland I like the way they are put together. I'm I like that I'm team. Joking. Yeah, doing it. You like it? You think Cleveland's cool? I mean, I never heard anybody say I'm like going to Cleveland on vacation. They blew that game last night. They blew that game last night because they fouled DeRozan, taking the three at the end of regulation. He hits all three free throws, and then double overtime took forever. Speaking of Cleveland, uh, LeBron James uh, scored some points late. Did you for see the that? Lakers. Yeah. They had a fourth quarter. Oh, my gosh. They're down 15 late in the third. They come roaring back. Another Cleveland reference. A lot of Cleveland references Because he left Cleveland, too. He left Cleveland. Cleveland sucks. Cleveland rocks. Boy, the Bulls were something else, though, last night. Yeah. What do you you make of this group? Because Ah, who cares? I think how many people. They're in, they're out, they're here, and now they're gone. Do we know Batim's first name? Yeah, it begins with an O. He's OB. O N U R A L P. He is his third NBA game. Essentially, yep. the first time he contributed in 13, he played first 27 points. minutes. Mm-hmm. And he had 10 points and six rebounds. And people are like, who's that? There was no Caruso on top of, you know, Patrick Williams' foot. And I, I, what was the other thing that came out yesterday? Caruso's oh, birthday. He, he Lonzo play. Ball can't sprint. Uh, Come on. We don't need to mention that. I, I can't help I, it. I, I I chuckled at when that came across my little viewpoint. I was like, ah. That, yeah, that was. That all will that, be well. That, that was the update. Now, raise your hand if you're surprised no. at anything that setback after setback. He hasn't played in two years. And Move, he can't sprint. Mo- moving on, other than that. Yeah. Bulls, uh, I, I can't get over the rebound totals. Now, they were they shot forty percent from the field. Yes. So doing the math, they hit forty four field goals and one hundred ten shot attempts. So there were sixty six misses by them. Yeah, but they also can rebound offensively. I yeah, I, but then the 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 Cavs. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the Bulls missed sixty six shots. 
Okay. I'm just saying, this is like an SAT. Yeah. You know, story if, test. If the yeah. Bulls miss 66 shots. You're on a train. And the Cavaliers miss 59 shots. Missing 66 shots. How much did the Bulls out-rebound the Cavs if they had 74? An hour with six stops, how long will the journey? That'd be one of the questions they, they tell uh, give quarterbacks at the NFL Combine. <laughs> yeah. If you can answer that, okay, fine. We'll draft you. What was that test? You remember that test? The Wonderlick test. No, no, there's a new test. They had a new test last year. Yeah, it wasn't uh, good. Yeah. CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud yeah. flunked it. Stay away from that guy. <laughs> He's never going to work out. Oh, you know, he didn't do well on the cognitive distance measuring test. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you know, the Bulls, big win. That's a big win because they had such a bad loss. Does one make up for the other? Look. They're th- now they're what three games under five hundred. They need to start stacking some games, and I got I got my doubts about whether it's going to start on Friday when I don't, they play the Bucks. Nothing that happened last night should make you feel better about what they're no. going to do against the Bucks. This is a team that is uh, wildly inconsistent. Yes, and this is this is what they they're they're highly entertaining. This is who they are. You go to the United Center. You're going to leave after having – you're not going to be bored. You're either going to be frustrated because they blew a game they should have won or you're going to be really, really excited because they won a game they should have lost. It's kind of either and, or. And, and, I mean, tell me there's not something special going on with the Bulls. They got 23 games left. They got Mike Jordan number of games left. Okay. What? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> what is right? You know who's really impressive, uh, though, I, uh, I think has come on the second half? been more of a threat and consistently such as uh, Io. I, yeah. I've well, really been pleased, and they've got to really take credit for, or they deserve credit for the way he's developed into more of a scoring threat. Mm. He's doing a lot more things more regularly, and he played 47 minutes and was a force. I, I'm, aren't you a little surprised at how good he is at this stage of his career or not? Um, You know – no. No? Okay. No, I, I'm not. You think I'm overstating that? A little bit. Okay. Here's the thing. You know, Kobe White took a huge step forward, and we gave them a lot of credit. And mm-hmm. Wow, they knew something that this was going on. Now he is about – he's shooting poorly. He is really cold. So did they make a bad decision on Kobe White? Do, they, do we take back whatever we were saying about him? I just think this, these are the kind of vicissitudes of NBA seasons. And I think that – of late, Io has been a lot better, maybe coinciding with the fact that Kobe is struggling shooting, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't know that these are independent factors within games. It just seems like that's the NBA. And then at the end of the year, you look at a guy and you say whether he had a good year or a bad year. There I, are hot spots within it. And that, I would look at it as hard to. Yeah, it's, hard to, it's fair enough. It's just hard for me to say, that's okay. yes, the corner's turned. Yeah, and, I, and, but I mean he's done well. I'm well, not I, I would look him. at it this way, and this way, this way I do look at it. I, when Zach Levine went out, the open up the the door for a lot of t- people to take not a lot of people, a small group of players to take advantage of opportunities. Right. Kobe White did for a while, and now he's cooled off since the All Star break. Right. Shooters are going to hit streaks like that. Yeah. I don't think Io is a streaky shooter as much as he is a, a versatile, potentially 
you know, he's he can, done well. He can hurt you in a lot of different ways offensively. For, for a guy that came into the league the way he has, he's done very well. And he's going to be able to play defense. That's always going to travel well with him. So I think that he's a try hard. He's guy. taken advantage of Zach Levine's absence and made himself more valuable, and his and he's helped his career quite a bit this year. But I, I mean, you, you know. The, abstract failure is what we talked about when the Bulls lost to Detroit. And now they win a game in double overtime and we're kind of, hey, if you notice this, it's just, it's all the same thing. It's just the kind of, again, well, as a team, I'm not, as a team I'm not over the top, but I think right. individuals within that team structure can stand out. I think Io does. Andre Drummond has, but he's a guy that has been a big surprise this year. Uh, okay. And you I, don't know what you have in him, but you, you have a veteran who's really – As a starting NBA player, mm-hmm. Io's the guy I'd want to replace. If I if it was the best of all worlds. And I think there's a lot of those on the Bulls. I just I, – I, that's my problem with, with getting too over the top over someone. I think it's good, too, to give Billy Donovan a little credit, too, since Patrick Williams, Torrey Craig's been hurt. The fact the yes. pairing of Vucevic and Drummond – Drummond's showing, I mean, NBA has changed now, but he's still putting up like the same. If you give him minutes, he's putting up the numbers he was putting up with when he played in Detroit. Right. I mean, 20, what was it? He have 25 rebounds? It's 26 insane. rebounds. Now, you know, one of them was on a free throw that he bobbled out of bounds. There was like another one where someone slapped at the ball and it fell out of his They're hands. They're all line drives in the, in the box score. Well, that's my point. That's yep. my point. They're all line drives in the box for he's a you know they won the game. That's seems like he's been around forever. He's only thirty. He's young compared to how old he looks and you slash think he is. Yeah. I mean he, it feels like he's about thirty eight. He was the ninth overall pick of the twenty twelve draft. Right. So it's he's been around for quite a while. He has been a max player before. He's been a, all around the block and now he's a good guy to have in the lineup. And I do like the way they've paired him with Vooch because Vooch fouled out. Did you see? I have not seen Vooch express as much frustration he after he fouled out. Sworn Serbian. <laughs> he let he out. He was a throwing Serbian a towel. Curse. He was pounding the towel against the chair. That's always gonna wow. Be a good way to channel that frustration. Are you sure he wasn't cleaning it? No, he wasn't. No, I think towel. He towel drill. He was into that game. They came back and somehow won that game. I don't know how they did it. So, yeah, you're not going to get carried away. Larry Rothschild stood proudly watching him. Aldro? I get it. Okay. I get it. I, I, I'll just forget the point I was making. I, I'll talk. Larry Rothschild. Yeah, good, good win for the Bulls. I'm curious. Dustin, can I ask you a question? Sure. You, what is the Giants record in spring training? Do you know? Off the top of my head, no. They're 0-3. Well, Craig Council would tell you that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But you gave the White Sox record. You said the White Sox in the pregame fell to one and five. Well, Just it curious. was it was pointed out. It was pointed out in the story that I was reading that they were one and five in Cactus League play. But yeah. I, but I think you gave that record because you anticipate that this is a good indication of how bad they're going to be. <laughs> wow. See what I'm saying? No. Like, you don't think the Giants are going to be that bad, so you never mentioned well, I, I Windless and Cactus I don't League. report the Giants on the local, <laughs> I'm just the saying, local show. He brought up. Playing. We're not in San Francisco. One five, but he said one in five, and he said they fell to one in five. Yeah. It, but, I also but, said they're looking for their second Cactus League win this afternoon when they take on the Royals. But we know, what's the Royals' record in Cactus League? 
But we know. I'll tell you tomorrow after they probably yeah. beat the White Sox. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, we know the Sox aren't going to be good, and that's why you included their record. No, it's not. Because as you just said, Craig so Council, moving, so moving Craig forward, Council moving says the record doesn't the matter. Game show, we should not report. The, should we give the score of the Sox No, no. Game? I think we should only give their record. Because it's an indication of how their season's going. That's what you're implying by giving the record. Yes. No, let's, you're assuming that's what I'm implying. I'm just that those are the facts. Those okay. are the facts. The, right. it's, it's what are the not, Cubs? It's not an. It's not an. What opinion. are the Cubs in in spring training? They're about 500. They're three and two. So they're about 500. They're 600. I'm just saying. It, it just what, what, it was what, curious that you listen, chose to give a record. I was just wondering why. Could, because could, of Craig Council saying that it, the record doesn't matter. We don't could, know what people are working on. I am just – listen, I, it's very clear. I am just a producer, okay, that's been made crystal clear. It, I'd be happy to play a 20-minute interview back, Okay. All right, let's move on. I don't know what yeah, that means. Let's move I'm on. Just, I was just curious. Of it means now. that I'm a producer, and we could play, we don't have to give the record of the White Sox who play in Chicago. Oh, I, I only ask because I think that the White Sox spring training is indicative of how bad they're going to be, and I thought you were implying that when you gave their record of a, you know, again, no one remembers who wins spring training. I was just curious. You, you don't think that's indicative of how bad they're going to be? I I have no idea. No, I mean the the, the Chicago Bears were zero and four in the preseason when they won the Super Bowl and dominated everybody. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Tomorrow <sighs> on the pregame show, we will have the Giants spring training record and a full recap of the game. Maybe they win. Maybe that's where it turns around. Leap year. Leap year. Yeah, today's leap year. That's right. February 29th. Did you like hearing uh, Cody Bellinger? Was it weird to see him sit between Jed Hoyer and uh I really like seeing Boris? Cody Bellinger. I think he's a sight for sore eyes for a lot of Cub fans. I think he has uh, that personality trait that makes him easy to be around at all times, and he mixes with a lot of different groups. I like hearing for Jed Hoyer. I think he had – a right to be up there because he got the job done and he brought back the best player on that team. I have no idea what Scott Boris was doing there. Yeah, that was strange. I have no idea. He was kind of making some Boris jokes and he was kind of he did like a really big double take when asked if uh, if the Cubs were going to make another move with one of his they, free agents. They gave him a forum and I'm not quite sure why. And I, I'm not I'm not being critical of the Cubs mm. Cubs fans. I, I really it doesn't. It, it, Bottom line is, all I care about is that Cody Bellinger is wearing number 24 this year, and he's going to be either in center field or first base. However they want to present him or bring him back or throw him a party or bring in his agent to pacify, whatever. I don't care, ultimately. But as someone who has been around a lot of these press conferences and seen a lot of guys come back into the fold, I don't know what Scott Boris's purpose was on Wednesday in Mesa when they bring back Cody Bellinger. And it was maybe a gesture of uh, respect or professionalism. Cubs went, and went above and beyond, though, in giving him that platform. Didn't have to do that, especially how much he talked. He, he also, we have audio from the, from the post-interview session. He, I mean, he, he talked to, not only at the podium, but that he did a little powwow on he the He might side. still be talking. 
I mean, he had a lot of metaphors to introduce and try out. He got new material. He's got new writers. Yeah. <laughs> He's on tour. The yeah. Scott Boris Boris uh, Boris Four tour. Cody Bellinger signed. I think that was part of it. You have three more guys that are he has to get in camp. Maybe, maybe the Cubs sign one of them. I doubt it. But I thought it was odd that Scott Boris had as big of a role in that press conference as he did. Well, I, I think given the short-term nature of the contract. I also thought it was really interesting that um, twice, I believe, there were questions regarding, you know, the, the soft uh, ball and play stuff. And um, I saw Soft contact? Soft contact. Yeah. And I thought uh, Bellinger handled that well and talked about the faith he has in himself. But Boris took a minute to jump in and just discredit all those numbers because they didn't look at what the count was at the time and how he was being uh, – he was he was changing his approach with two strikes on him uh, over the course of the year. That's why the contact was with balls in uh, – bad balls in play with Fine. softer contact. Like he just – Fine. He wanted to make a point I, I to know. the rest of the league That's, almost, right? But, but why do the Cubs give him that platform – in that setting. Well, it's his. I this mean, was a happy moment. He delivered the player, I guess. And now. Is that why? I think I think he lost he lost the negotiation. And the Cubs let him come and give his side of the story, I suppose. I thought it was a grand gesture by the Cubs. The ultimate professionalism to give Scott Boris a speaking part in that capacity at that press conference. Can you think of, you've come, yeah. can you think of an agent? Having that large of a role at a press conference over uh, the signing or of a player uh, that you're not, retaining, not in that circumstance, not not. Uh, I mean, first of all, Scott Boris has a, a huge presence over the game, without question. Yeah, but um, you know, this has been a difficult, and I, I, you know, we can call it collusion, whatever. But there are, you know, the White Sox aren't the only team that doesn't want to deal with Scott Boris. There are a lot of teams that don't want to deal with Scott Boris. The <laughs> The Dodgers, Cubs, the, the Cubs Dodgers would have preferred to, to avoid dealing with Scott Boris with Cody, Cody Bellinger because he would have right. probably been signed in December. Right, right. <laughs> and I just – Yeah, it, 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 it was interesting that he was it's there. It's an interesting detail. And we had, we had raised that point yesterday. We talked about whether or not he would be there. And and um, it's a it's a interesting question. Why was he there? It's like interviewing the losing coach. <laughs> I guess when he walked into into the facility, Craig Council ran over and said hello to him. Did you see that? I did not see that. And he said, oh, I thought you were going to bring Montgomery with you. He, like, made a joke. Like, everyone has a joke to make. Mm -hmm. But um, are they all jokes? I mean, wouldn't that have been good if Montgomery was there, Council's too? kind of funny. Council's got a good sense of humor. Right. I like, I like his sense of humor. And I, I think that so far, everything that you've seen and heard from Craig Council has been positive from a Cub fan's perspective in that that's the latest I, I did get a chuckle out of that yeah that's good yeah it's just stuff like that is baseball banter and I think we all enjoy inside the game a little bit right that kind of stuff's pretty fun. I also enjoy seeing Jordan Wicks throw uh as he did he had a good start right yeah yeah two strikeouts three innings good. Making his case for be that fifth starter if they don't sign one of Scott Boris's other clients. If Blake Snell's not coming to town, Jordan Wicks can be your fifth starter. Hmm. That would be good. It's interesting. Just a very interesting. 
you know, and, and I, I think that the question should stand. Are you done with this guy? Like, why, why, why would you be done with this team, with this guy? It, I get it. You know, you're running out of time and you're getting toward camp. But couldn't, couldn't the players that he represents, the, you know, the remaining three of the four, or the, or the, if you count J.D. Martinez, the four that remain, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't some of those guys be able to help Major League Baseball teams? No doubt about it. I mean, they're the three of the top four free agents that are available outside of Otani, and there's Otani, and then there's the Boers four, and there's everybody else. Right. So I don't know, though, that giving him a seat at the table for a press conference is going to make him more likely to no, I, Matt, I, lower the no. price of Matt Chapman. Oh, I, I didn't mean to imply that. I just – I, all I'm asking is when the question, well, it's getting late and we get, but you still have money. Why not? I mean, why not get better? Get better every second you can, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that the whole point That's of the, idea. the operation? All right. All right. We got all the big stories of the day. We're going to pick them all apart, and we'll do that next with the pick six. It's Mully and Haw on the score. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. What did you make of the Bulls' quote bounce back game against the Cleveland Cavaliers? Are you buying the loss to Detroit as an outlier now, or is that pretty much an accurate portrayal of what this team is? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that the um, I thought the Detroit game was a, a fairly accurate portrayal of of who the Bulls are, and I thought last night was also a fairly accurate portrayal. I mean, they, they, they played really hard in one game, and they didn't in the first one, and that's why they lost. And, you know, they, they don't shoot well. That's not a shocking uh, reality, two with 29 from three in the loss. It, they just didn't play well in that game. They didn't seem to, to really uh, gear up and, and give it the old uh, college effort. So I think that's why they lost that game. The Bulls are a wildly inconsistent team. They were really entertaining. Last night, that was a fun game to watch, and it get gets the double overtime, and they pull out a, a victory against the team they had lost to seven consecutive times. I, I, I think it's the NBA. I think you can you can be a team that that can lose to Detroit one night and beat Cleveland the next. I think that's just the nature of sort of uh, of the league itself. Weird things happen over the course of a season, and the Bulls are are a wildly inconsistent team. Um, I, I, they've got some good things about them, but their, their record is their record for a reason. They started the season 4-15 and 15 for a reason, and they've been trying to overcome that since then, and I don't know that they're going to be able to do it in the last 23 games of the year. But the, it's, the, it's the vicissitudes of any NBA season, the ups and the downs, and you would prefer them to be more consistent, but they're not. I think wildly inconsistent is a great way to put it, and it's always interesting to see what a motivated NBA team can do. I think the Bulls faced the Pistons at just the worst time. They were totally furious over the non-call in that game against the Knicks, and they came in, ticked off, and they took it out on the Bulls that night who kind of assumed that it's the eight-win Pistons. We'll just 
go through the motions and win this game, no problem. And then they were motivated because they took a night off, right? And they took on a Cavaliers team that really doesn't need that game on a Wednesday in Chicago in February. They didn't need that game. So wildly inconsistent. It's just wild when one NBA team is motivated that does not have nearly the talent as the other team. The Cavs are a far superior team on paper, but wildly inconsistent and crazy how that happens. This is what mediocrity looks like. One night you are losing to a team that has nine lost with nine victories all season long and the next night you are beating the second best team in the eastern conference one night you're breaking hearts the next night you're making them race this is the bulls 2023 2024 injuries and all i don't think there's any predictability about this team but i wouldn't get necessarily carried away after last night it was great to watch 74 rebounds demar Derozan playing 48 minutes you see Io and Kobe come through with clutch plays. This was a lot of fun. They're always a lot of fun until maybe they disappoint you at the end or maybe like last night they come through in the clutch. They did that without Alex Caruso. They did that without a lot of players we know have been out for a while. But the 24-hour stretch between the Pistons game and the Cavaliers game, that is a microcosm of this season. Very low lows. And there's a few highs along the way, but this is still a team that is capable of playing themselves out of the play-in round. And if they do play in and they win, then they earn the right to be swept by the Celtics. So this is going to be something that uh, you look at and you think, all right, enjoy it while it lasts because they at least are highly entertaining while they're being wildly inconsistent. No, it's a valid question, uh, certainly on the minds of a lot of people. That's the voice of Casey Johnson. He'll join the guys at 7 this morning. Did you enjoy hearing Cody Bellinger's response to being asked if his return to the Cubs had anything to do with unfinished business after last year's late meltdown? That's that's it, honestly. I mean, we were so close last year. Really got banged up towards the end and, you know, fought, fought till the very end. We got so close and... You know, for me to come back here with the almost the same team, you know, to experience playoff in Chicago is something that I want to do and it's something that I want to experience. And it's, you know, big part of the reason why I did want to come back here. Did you enjoy what you heard out of Cody Bellinger yesterday at Cubs camp? Yes, I did. I enjoyed every word, every sentence, every smile. I like the hat backwards. I like the casual approach. I like everything about Cody Bellinger because – He was saying it in a Cub uniform at the Cub complex. He was there in the fold, soon to be in the field again at the plate, doing what he did last year. Belly's back, and that is good news for every Cub fan, every Cub player, every Cub executive. This makes them legitimate contenders for the NL Central. This makes them probably better than the 83-win team that blew it down the stretch if they can stay healthy. There's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. There's a lot of ifs. They can, associated with the Cubs' health and other players have to come through. But all of the conversations and all of the hope, they're always based on one premise. Cody Bellinger would return. And yesterday that was made official. So the more he talked, the, the wider Cub fans smiled. And the more Scott Boris talked, the more I thought, well, what's he doing here? We'll get to that later. But, yes, everything Cody Bellinger said was a positive. Yeah, and he's motivated. He was motivated last year after the Dodgers had kind of given up on him and nobody else 
had signed him, and he's going to be motivated again because there is that huge potential contract out there for him if he can uh, replicate what he did last year. So, as you said, David, great, uh, great day to be a Cub fan. Yeah, you know, I thought he did great. I really did. I, I thought that was a wonderful answer. And, man, they were close when you think about last year. God, that was such a fizzle. And, and they were, you know, they did. They were tired. And they ran out of relief pitching. And, you know, we all know what happened. Um, and it was close to being a great success, but it wasn't. So the idea that he's, he's coming back and he wants to, uh, he wants to get it done um, this time, be in the playoffs in Chicago, I, I don't know who wouldn't want to hear that. I thought it was, uh, it was great stuff that, that he had to say. And I thought that um, – you know, it was a good question and a good answer, and I think everybody feels that way. I also like – I like the way he talked about um, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. I thought that was really classy and he, it was genuine. And I like that he's excited about council. I, I thought – and he said something like it's almost the same team, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Why was Scott Boris at the table with Jed Hoyer and Cody Bellinger when the Cubs held that news conference on Wednesday? Was that an olive branch extended by the Cubs or grudging acceptance of Boris's role in the game? It's a good question. I, I, I don't, I think, you know, Scott Boris probably can't resist a chance to get in front of the, the lights and make his, his uh, turkey and, uh, and thermometer reference, and and boy, they they seem to get a chuckle out of it. Both Jed Hoyer and uh, Cody Bellinger really enjoyed that he uh, used that terminology, and the guy can you know I'm probably prepared, but a metaphor nonetheless, and that's that's fun stuff. So, uh, not sure why Scott Boris was there. I I think his role in the deal was done. Maybe a reminder. Uh, to other teams, he did jump in with that bit about the soft contact that was interesting. And um, I, I I don't know, you know, unless he's just there and he wants to kind of hang around and take his moment, I, I don't know why he would need the uh, close-up, Mr. DeMille. I, I wasn't quite sure what he was doing there. But um, the guy still has some clients to sign. There's still some work to be done. I, I mean, keep talking. Keep keep getting better. I wouldn't stop now. Don't stop now, boys. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both. I think the, the, the two parts of the answers given in the question. But at the end of the day, Scott Boris still represents a lot of really good baseball players. So you do have to even sometimes bite your lip and just go ahead and – we asked yesterday – I don't know if it's during this segment, but we, we asked yesterday, yeah. you know, we expected Boris to be there. And I thought Boris would have like either a moment like before the press conference away from that setting right. or after the press conference. I, I didn't think he'd be sitting shoulder to shoulder. I mean, I expected Carter Hawkins to be up there, not Scott Boris. Well, I mean, right. Scott Boris might have a higher title than Carter Hawkins and the Cubs management no, no, right now. But I'm now. just saying, if you would ask me if they were going to be, if you had said beforehand, uh, okay, there's going to be three people up there, who's it going to be? I wouldn't have guessed Scott Boris. I Tom Ricketts, Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins, anybody but the agent for the guy that you brought back and the agent with whom you called out just 10 days ago. That's what I like. I like Tom Ricketts calling out Scott Boris. 
I'd like that adversarial little public uh, back and forth. That's okay. It worked. Cubs won this one. That doesn't mean they're going to win the next one. I don't think they want to get cocky with Scott Boris. I mean, it is Hoyer one, Boyer's uh, Hoyer one, Boris zero. Bellinger's back. That's all that matters. I was surprised though. I don't know. The more he talked, the more I wondered, why is he talking? Why is he still talking? This isn't his press conference, is it? He lost. He's the losing coach. I, I just don't know why he was saying all that he was saying. I respect his place in Major League Baseball. He's a power guy. He he is the most powerful agent in in baseball. And I and I think I respect Jed Hoyer being professional enough to give him a seat at the table. But from a from from our standpoint, whether I'm a fan or a member of the media, I had the same reaction. What is he doing there? You know, you normally when a guy signs, the agent's job is over. Was this a reminder that it's basically a one-year deal, and that and that you got my guy, but I want all of baseball to know he's back on the market. Probably next so, year. but why would the Cubs be party to that? I. I don't know why, why would the Cubs be complicit in reminding people of that? Yeah. Why would they give him that courtesy, professional or otherwise? I just don't think they needed to do it. I, I don't think there's is it's ever bad to be uh, extremely professional and have that professional courtesy, but I do think this was maybe going over the top a little bit. Oh, my God. That's a great question. That's the voice of Mark Grody. He will be here this morning live from the Indianapolis Scouting Combine. Would you be disappointed at this point if the Bears don't draft Caleb Williams? Has it gotten that far in the process? Yes, it has gotten that far. I would be disappointed if the Bears do not end up with Caleb Williams. I think that we aren't privy to all of the background checking and if they have checked in with his seventh grade biology teacher yet or what his role was in you know, the the local why, whatever it was, whatever they do, those are things that they're going to do their due diligence. But what happened yesterday was significant. Caleb Williams answered a lot of questions via Pete Thamel on ESPN that people have been holding information that people wanted to know and have been holding against Caleb Williams sight unseen, unproven, unfounded, unfair. Now we know he has no problem with playing for the Bears. He is going to speak on Friday. He wants to be great. He loves Chicago. He'd love being a Chicago Bear. He has invoked the names of Walter Payton and Michael Jordan. He loves deep dish pizza, whatever. That doesn't matter. Dustin, don't get hung up on that. But I do think what happened was he lifted a lot of, he removed a lot of the doubts that maybe existed. He answered many of the questions that people had. And he also raised those expectations. So now, I have it in my probably balled up in my pocket. I'm in the, the virtual Sonny Weaver uh, every day. Caleb Williams, no matter what, if you're the Bears. And if it's anybody but Caleb Williams, I think it's going to be a disappointing draft. This might shock people. Hold on to your hats. If the Bears are going to draft a quarterback, then it better be Caleb Williams. It, it, I don't want it. There, there's also some talk. Like, That's are a pretty we sure, sturdy limb there, buddy. Are, are we sure that, it, that Caleb Williams is the guy? Is there any chance that they could go crazy? Right? No. No, it's either Caleb Williams or stick with Justin Fields and build around him. If you're going to trade back a little bit and then draft a quarterback and get some assets, but 
you know, going back to the whole Justin Fields, why, why would the Bears get rid of the entire offensive coaching staff other than the tight ends coach or the assistant offensive line coach if Caleb if Justin Fields was the problem? I heard that asked yesterday by Lewis Riddick on ESPN because they both were bad, because they both were disappointing. You can be both. Okay, that's be, fair. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just saying. But if, if you're going to draft, if the Bears are going to draft a quarterback, then yes, I would be disappointed if they drafted a quarterback other than Caleb Williams. But I still would love to know what the Bears are being offered for that pick, if anything. Well, I think it's a really interesting um, thing that you ask there because I think there's a couple of things. Caleb Williams talked and he answered a lot of questions. He's going to talk on Friday. He'll answer a lot more. He's not going through any of the medical stuff in Indy, which is curious. He doesn't want to do any of it. He, he's, you know, he's going to get drafted by one team. He doesn't think the league needs to know all his medical information. You know, this is part of the pushback that his father talked about with the draft process. And, you know, again, this is an NIL guy coming into the league with $10 million. This is not a, a regular college quarterback coming into the league. This guy's been paid before, and he's going to – He's, there is an element of rewriting some of the rules here. And, you know, the reason they have the combine in India is for the medicals. He's not doing the medical stuff. That's, that's, that is, I don't think that's a red flag. I don't think he's got any major issues or injuries or anything like that. It's just different. It's just a different type of thing. The other thing, did you see the teams that he's talking to? So he's talking to the Bears, obviously, in Washington, his hometown team. That's one, that's two. But he's talking to Minnesota. They're like picking 11th, right? He's talking to the Jets. They got Aaron Rodgers, and they're picking 10th. I'm just curious as to how this list of teams, what it is with this group of teams that he's going to be interviewing with. If, if the Bears are taking him number one overall, does that mean one of these teams are going to come charging up and try to get him? Does that mean that there's there's a chance that he could slip past the bear? I, I'm just trying to, you know, I, I mean, really, he should come to the combine, talk to the bears, or he doesn't even have to come to the combine if he's not doing any of the medical stuff. Does that mean they're not going to measure him? Does that mean we're not going to know his exact height and weight? And I all think that there's stuff? certain things you have to take part in, though. I think the, the measure. I thought the medical was one of them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the medical... I've never the, heard of a player not doing any medical. Yeah, I, I also think that like the teams that he visit, visits with, or, you, you use those meetings for a lot of different reasons. I agree. And you never know your second contract, or you don't know relationships with people, etc. You also want to make statements that might be bluffs if you're the Vikings. Well, we're willing to move up. We are thinking about quarterback because that's a position that's unsettled now. All kinds of motivation. It's just it's it it these are just things that go yeah. through your head. Yeah. But at this point, yes, I'd be disappointed if they don't take Caleb Williams. I feel like they're set up to do it now and they're leaning toward it. It's gonna happen. The day I get a positive question from you is the day that I'm gonna be happy. That's the voice of Justin Fields. What did you make of Justin Fields' manager and Instagram feature of a shirtless player smiling, clapping, jumping around in celebration? of Ryan Poles addressing trading the player. Is he not in that gray area? Oddsmakers have installed his hometown Falcons as the favorite over the Steelers for Fields' next destination. 
Well, he was happy. He, he, you know, look, for a guy that's unfollowed the Bears, who's unfollowed the NFL, who is going on vacation and doesn't want to think about football, he apparently heard everything that was said and, uh, and wanted to express this Mario Nunez is his manager and runs, I guess, his Instagram, and he posted a, a, a thing about going hometown or something. Didn't he write something like that on it? But you see Justin Fields, he's clapping, he's smiling, he jumps up and down. He's pumped up at the idea that either he's leaving the Bears or he's going to Atlanta, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, That was really – it was just interesting for a guy that has supposedly unplugged and doesn't want to be making a statement. That's a pretty strong statement of of excitement at the idea of of his uh, gray area ending. Yeah, and he was wearing gray sweatpants for what it's worth in the shirtless. Instagram video. He was shirtless. Yeah. <laughs> the quote, Mole, you're referencing is, you ready to go home, question mark? Right? He was being asked. That's definitely him. That's him. Ready to go home. Ready okay. to go home. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all moving in a, in a direction that Justin Fields is no longer going to be QB1 of the Bears, unless Justin Fields is helping try to drive up that asking price no, for the Caleb Williams it, it, pick. It I, David, yeah, I'm, right, just, right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm playing, I'm playing around. It's a really interesting tactic that mm-hmm. that's been put out there for everybody. I mean, everybody's seeing it. Everybody's oh, yeah. consuming it. We just played you the audio. You're hearing it. Um, it. It's wild. I mean, but he also said right on the on the. St. Brown Brothers podcast, was it there that he said, like, going home isn't always the best idea? Yeah, he said his phone's going to be blowing up. He's going to be worried about A couple tickets, hundred tickets every week and things thing. like that. But I think that also might be the least of his worries if he's going to get an opportunity to be a starter for a team that he grew up, you know, rooting for. And speaking of the betting part of this, just really quick, some sports books have already taken this down. Mm-hmm. The, the the possibility of him going to the Falcons, you can't. It's certain depending on where you invest. What would be the reason for that? They they think they know it's a, like a done deal. So it's that far along. It's that far along. Yeah, I think that there's a sense when you talk to people uh, on the beat in Indy covering the Bears, and people talked to a couple people yesterday who don't cover the Bears. The Bears trading Justin Fields feels imminent, and they're on Justin Fields' watch. It does feel like it's a matter of when, not if. And could be sooner rather than later. And this Instagram video uh, is odd just given the fact that it wasn't that long ago that he was telling us he was going to unplug and get away and not pay attention to anything going on with the Bears. And so. And I guess the video is not him reacting in real time. It's almost like a meme. It's a video it from last yeah. year that they're using under it's the a, guise it, of going It's home. a message. It's a message yes. that they're sending. It's a yeah. message that they're sending that yeah. he's pleased by this. And it's certainly manipulating the, uh, the the medium to get your message across. I find it uh, inconsistent with what he said last year, or last week, excuse me. And this isn't the gray area. This is black and white. He's happy to be moving on. There's no doubt about that if you trust what you see. If seeing's believing, Justin Fields is thrilled about moving on. This will be a pick six. There's your ball game. All right, after the latest article by Crane Chicago Business, there's a suggestion that the Bears and the White Sox 
could or should work in conjunction with each other about the respective stadium projects? How feasible or realistic would you consider that? And what's the next headline in this quest? I think the next headline in this quest seems to be Sox, Bears consider sharing site, which to me is is radical. It to me is would be something that you I never really considered, but I don't know where this is headed, and I didn't anticipate this development. I want to give give it the weight it deserves. Cranes has done a nice job of being in front of this story, and if they are suggesting or causing us to speculate that the White Sox and Bears should get together or might be discussing this kind of joint venture, I suppose we have to consider the, the alternative. I don't think it seems practical. I don't think it seems feasible. I think, in again, to, to reiterate, the Bears got into this process, began it because they wanted to own their own stadium. They wanted to make their own money without a landlord or a tenant or a co-tenant. So I don't know if it makes sense. From Jerry Reinsdorf's perspective, it is maybe more feasible or doable because he's done it before with the Blackhawks, and he, that has been wildly successful for him. So that is a, not as big of a leap to make, but I think for the Bears, doesn't make any sense to me. Well, my first question would be, is that big piece of land in Arlington Heights big enough, as we've seen in other cities, is it big enough to support two stadiums? With restaurants and bars kind of in between and a, and a natural outdoor grass space. Detroit style, where you have Comerica Park and Ford Field right there. Right. Is, is, is that piece of land in Arlington big enough to support that? I, I don't, I, and I, I try to it say, is. I don't know. It, it is. Okay, I mean, I so if it so. is, I believe it is. If it is, this could make a bunch of sense because there is in the budget, there is earmarked dollars to support these kinds of projects, just not a billion dollars, right. right? So could the Bears still build their stadium, take part of the money from the state and the county and the city or whatever, and then the Sox do the same thing? But in the meantime, the Bears would be selling the Sox a portion of the investment they've already made up in Arlington Heights. Mm-hmm. And now you could really develop that 300 acres or whatever the number is. I mean... This could be wildly interesting, but I want to be consistent. I hate the idea of moving professional sports teams out of downtown. It wouldn't work on yeah, the 78th. Arlington, Arlington it, it Heights wouldn't is better work. than Nashville. <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah. But if it could work yeah. in Arlington Heights, I could see two stadiums, not like working together on a project that would also have restaurants and you know, bars and outdoor spaces and a mall and a casino and multiple hotels or, or whatever it is. But so that might work. It'd be like the North Siders and the Northwest Siders. Yeah, right. Um, I, look, I, I think my headline, my headline would be Sox willing to let state slash bears pay for new stadium. <laughs> That would be what this would – listen, you want to talk about strange bedfellows? The Sox and the Bears getting together to make a pitch about money? I, I mean, really? That makes zero sense. That just – I can't even see Kevin Warren and Jerry Reinsdorf sharing an elevator, let alone sitting at a board meeting and trying to top each other um, over whatever they're going to get regarding the money from the state – 
I get why the state would say, hey, why don't you guys move together and come in here with a – I get that. I just don't see how it's going to happen. And supposedly they've met, right? Didn't, it's, didn't the story say that they – the Crane story said they've already met once? Weird. Just a real weird I, I would like to know the circumstances of that meeting. I would like to know if that was just like a Zoom. Was it or, a Zoom? Yeah. Something like – or was it lunch? I, I don't know how long it would have lasted. See – I don't see how that would you work. You can have a meeting in your car on the phone. It just depends. I, so you'd me, have you'd have like the Bear Stadium there year round, a dome stadium that could host the Final Four and all that. And then during baseball season, you'd have the Sox with another stadium like out in the back part of it, and, and that would be for well, yeah, very similar okay. to Detroit. You, how, how close they are together in proximity, I would imagine that would be the model if that. It's a lot of – talk about another rendering. I want to see the renderings. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it, that's, a, that's a departure I, I, it's, it is, from what we expected. That might be a bridge too far. I think that it's – It was surprising to read. It was. And, and hard to conceptualize. Yeah, it's really difficult to think about. But I'm, I'm sure Jerry, if he can get a billion from the Bears, a billion from the state, and, and maybe uh, put in about 50K, he might do it. <laughs> that might do it. All right. We got the extra point next. It's Smalley and Hall on the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Today is February the 29th, 2024. This is, of course, a leap year. The last time February had 29 days, none of Chicago's current coaches or managers were employed in this city. How many of the current coaches or managers will still be in place by the next leap year in 2028? Any? And what new stadiums will be close to opening and where? February 29th, 2020, seems like an eternity ago. And there weren't any current coaches still employed or employed in Chicago yet, were there? Billy Donovan came in September that year, I think. Uh, to fast forward, to leap ahead, take a leap of faith in four years, the only one I think is realistically going to have a chance to still be in Chicago would be Craig Council. He's got the contract. He's got the team. He's got the organization. I think Craig Council is the answer. I don't think, boy, it would be the shocker. The most surprising coach, if he were still here, would be Matt Eberflus. If Matt Eberflus were still here in 2028, that would mean something has gone really, really well with the drafting of Caleb Williams, and then they're on their way. That would be... Somewhat of a surprise because that would make him four more years after the first. That would he'd be that'd be a long tenure for a Bears head coach. He'd be on his Lovey Smith track, but I think it will be won't be Pedro and it won't be probably Luke Richardson. <laughs> Blackhawks will be contending by then, I believe. If Pedro is here, I think the Blackhawks will be contending by then, but I think they will have moved on to a different coach. The losses will take their toll on Luke Richardson. So looking into my crystal ball. It's Craig Council with the perennially contending Chicago Cubs and the stadium project that will be ready and furthest along in February 29th in 2028. The new Bear Stadium, wherever it may be, but I would think it will be in Arlington Heights. So I'm going to agree with you on the stadium. I think it'll be the Bears. They'll definitely have something at least going up by that point. I don't know if they'll be in it yet, but they'll definitely have something going up and they'll have a, a new place to play, whether it's here in the city somewhere or uh, up in Arlington Heights. You know, something 
crazy would have to happen if Pedro Grafal was still the White Sox manager, and that's just, it is what it is. But if Caleb Williams is as good as advertised or as good as some people want him to be, then Matt Eberflus should still be the coach in four years. And why would you fire the guy unless they're so close? Unless they're so close that you're you're going you got your you know your B to A guy, you know they they lost in the NFC Championship and then they lost you know and they right there okay we got it while we're on this rookie deal of Caleb Williams we got to go get the best offensive mind that's available. Sorry Matt, thank you for everything, but you're just not good enough. Okay, but if Caleb Williams and now. The Cubs, I, I would be shocked if if Craig Council isn't still the manager. <laughs> that would almost be as shocking as Pedro Grafol still being the manager. But Luke Richardson, right guy, right time, Connor Bedard, why would you get rid of Luke Richardson? He's done everything and more than they've asked him to do, and I think everybody's on board with Connor Bedard. Four years is a long time. It is a long time. And it's Billy Donovan, time. I just think attrition, I think yeah. he, that would be I, – I don't see the Bulls doing anything in the next four years other than being mediocre. Months. Yeah, Matt Eberflus could have been fired this year. Sure. I mean, it sure. really could have. But, but you know, they gave him a stay of execution. I don't know how long that is. Patrick Fole is on borrowed time. Uh, and and um, I don't see how they're going to get much better. Um, they're not getting any better. And I don't know how long he's got in them. Um, I, that would be the guy I'd be most shocked. If in four years Patrick Fole is here, that would stun me. That would be a lot more shocking than anything else because they could build the team around Eberflus. Um, I, I think that um, I think that Billy Donovan. It's just he's been here a while, and it's just not going to end well. And it's, they're probably going to start tearing that thing up. You would hope in the next year or so. Um, but I think I think Council will be here. I think he should be here, and I think they should have some success. And I think that. Um, Luke Richardson's really an interesting one to me because I don't know. I like what he's done thus far. You told me guys were booing him, which stunned me. They did not at, boo him. I was game. wrong. Oh, I you aired. were wrong. It, okay. it was Luke. It was Luke, and I, I we're fell saying for Luke. Luke. Okay. And, and I, yeah, it caught my attention because I was in a conversation okay. about Chelly and Kaner, and I heard something, and I thought, are those boos? Yeah. And it resonated with me, but they were Luke because Luke. You, you have to have respect. And I oh, think he's he has earned done, it. He's done a really good job thus yeah. far. And I think that I think he could definitely be here because I think they're not going to be that good next year. But starting the year after that, they could start getting good. I, I don't know if, if I, you know, Kyle from Chicago wants to replace the coach or if they think he's doing a hell of a job. I think he's doing a hell of a job. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think that the only hesitation on my part isn't because of the job that he's doing. It's because of the toll that it takes. And I just – four years is a long time. That's fair. Especially when you've been here a couple already and they've been very difficult ones to get this thing going for the Blackhawks. I hope he's still here. Yeah, I do There's too. a lot to like about Luke Richardson. I hope Council's still here. After that, I could see <laughs> it's very unlikely that the other three guys are going to be. Yeah. That's a harder That's a much harder concept show. to grasp. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and again, I think as we evaluate the coaches and all that, I mean, Craig Council not only is probably the best at what he does in Chicago, but they gave him a lot of money and a lot of years. And I don't know that they're not going to get what they expect from him. He better be the best at what he does, not just in Chicago, but in the National League. Well, but I think when you start evaluating where the Cubs are and how they're going to get better, 
part of what they're planning on is him developing younger players. There's no doubt. And, and, and that's, you know, how do they get better? They, they are, you could argue on paper whether they're better than they were a year ago. That's a even, good argument. Even with Bellinger back. It, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a valid debate and point. So that but, means that the younger but, guys are getting better because the manager is going to be able to do stuff with them. Growth from the prospects, a little better starting pitching, and go from 83 to, say, 87 wins because of your guy in the dugout is going to give you that edge. And he uses the bullpen well. At least that's that, his reputation coming in. That's why he's here. 312-644-6767. It's Mully and Hall at Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. Shrews. And, oh, after the, and after the Bulls, oh, 26 suffer, rebounds. It's 26 rebounds. 74. And a night after the Bulls had by far their worst loss of the season. They end a skid nearly two years in the making. Look and how about the Look love for, for Odo Rapatim as he helps off the bench for the Bulls to beat the Cavaliers for the first time in two years. Turkey, stand up. Stand up, Turkey. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. You don't need to know about a turkey or a thermometer to understand that the young man from Turkey ended up having uh, a heck of a performance for himself, scoring his first uh, NBA points, playing all of the overtime, hit a couple free throws late, got a hug from some teammates, and uh, made his Bulls debut OB. OB, yeah, did not expect to have two turkey references no. in the same day. Yeah, one from Scott Boris, the other from Stacy King, and certainly the Turkish. What, what does, does he have a nickname yet besides I, OB? You know, he'll have to have another game. But that was, those were his first NBA points in his third NBA game. Who, who was the big center from Turkey? <laughs> the Bulls had ever. They had mm. the they had the Turkish center, the giant. Uh, can't think of his name. He was here during the uh, a sheik, Omer sheik, Omer sheik. Omer sheik. Yeah, is he related? They're I, both from Turkey. I wonder. Totally different. I, I wonder uh, where he is these days. He was a very good defensive presence and rebounder. He was during the Thibodeau era, correct? Yeah, <laughs> I, like I was at a game one time, and I was there with my wife and my daughter. Had gotten this chance to be like a ball girl before the game, and so she was like waving at my wife and my wife gave her like this neat little wave and Omera Sheik like looks at my wife and gives her a, a neat little wave back. It was hysterical. He thought she was waving at him. <laughs> That's funny. He, he was a good guy to have around. He made himself a lot of money too. Being yes, he did. A role player in the way that he was, but this is owner out the team and he had 10 points and six boards and he came through in the clutch six, six shooting guard getting an opportunity in the absence of Alex Caruso last night. Certainly the injuries to Patrick Williams and Zach Levine will open the door a little bit wider. You never know in the NBA. I mean, Mully, you look around the league, there are always examples of guys who take advantage of opportunities. They may be uh, – I, I when I think of a guy like Batim watching last night, it made me think of the Miami Heat. Their or, whole team. Their whole team is yeah. kind of guys like this who nobody expected to do anything. And then something about – them seizing the opportunity, doing something well, and building off of that. So he certainly has now a game to build off of. Ten points and a victory over the Cavaliers. Pretty good night. Um, yeah, I, here's the problem. 
Okay. So you, Alex Caruso has a hamstring. He didn't play last night. Apparently he, he tweaked his hamstring against, uh, in that horrible loss to Detroit. And so now next up is tomorrow night, you've got the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. So you got, you got, let's just go through the list. Patrick Williams is having season-ending foot surgery. We know that, uh, that um, they are without. Um, Tory Craig has a knee, I believe. Uh, Alex Caruso has a hammy. Will he be okay to play in that? I mean, who is going to be dealing with Omer? Uh, uh, not Omer Sheik. Who's going to be dealing with Giannis Antetokounmpo? Well, that's how a, do you defend him to begin with, and how do you defend him when you don't have a power forward? That's a challenge when you're fully healthy. Exactly. It's even more of a problem when you're compromised. I don't think that you have an obvious Candidate. answer. Yeah. You may want to rough him up a little bit more. You want to be physical if you can. You've got those kind of guys. You you can do that with Vooch and Drummond, but that's not a good matchup. Oh, no. I don't think that's that you – that, that's only when you're getting some of your 74 rebounds. You might want to throw an elbow <laughs> in the ribs. That's all I mean by that because you uh, want to make him feel a physical presence. But, Mully, there's no there, – there's nobody that qualifies for that job, and it's a thankless one. Somebody will have to do it. Io may get a shot. Who knows? Oh, my God. I, what, what else are you going to do? I don't know. I mean, this Caruso is Caruso better get healthy. Maybe it'll be Batim. Yeah. I don't know. Batim has some athleticism. He's a two-time slam dunk champion. Really? In the Turkish League All-Star Weekend. Yes. Oh, the Turkish League. Yeah. Tur- well, he's from Turkey. <laughs> he played in the Turkish League. I'm just wondering. He didn't play in the CBA. And, and I, this is just a joke. Yeah. Don't get offended if you're Turkish. Do they dunk in Turkey? In their league, in the dunk contest, well, is it more of a layup drill? I don't know. I'm he, making a joke. He looked. He looked pretty. He looked. Just a visual. He looked the part, and he. The Bulls need somebody like this to emerge. They need somebody like this to step forward to give them something they didn't expect. Yeah. In the in the light of all of the injuries that you mentioned. And where the Bulls are at, they need someone like this to become an All Star. Okay. <laughs> It's not enough. Well, that's not realistic. To get a get. Well, thank you. Yeah. His, or uh, is it realistic to think he's going to defend uh, Giannis, for God's sake? No. No, it's not probably going to be. A, it, it's it's just a challenge, and that's what I mean. So, last night was fun. They beat the Cavs. You got the Bucks, and then you go on the road. Then you go on the road Here for four games, and that's going to be a challenge in itself when you're shorthanded. But where do they go? They I th- they end up um, out in – they play the Utah. I think they play in Utah, then the Clippers. Oh, Clippers, I guess. Although the Lakers beat them. They go to Kings, Jazz, Warriors, Clippers. So it's a four-game road trip that, you know, you start in Sacramento, then you go to Utah, and then you end up uh, in California. So I don't know that that looks very appealing. The Clippers, since they got James Harden, one of the best teams in the league, the Warriors are who they are. Jazz and the Kings, teams you can compete with, but I don't know what this team is going to be on a night-in, night-out basis. That is who they have become, the unpredictables. Hmm. Uh, uh, excuse me, let me just uh, get the pronunciation 
Oneron, Onorel, Onorel Batim with 10.6 rebounds in 27 yep. minutes of his debut. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah, they needed it. They I'm needed every bit of saying, it. Just saying, they needed it. Yeah, they needed it. And, and with Batim emerging like that, it would have been nice to see something like that from a, a Julian Phillips or a Dalen Terry, somebody you drafted, somebody who wasn't such a surprise. But if this is somebody who can help the Bulls and his maturity is an asset, you, you only have 23 games left. You will take all that you can get to get through each and every night because – it's a struggle, and you you can't be – it's not great that you're just going to be in the play-in round if that is, in fact, what the, the way this will end. But imagine the disgrace or the disappointment, however you want to term it, if they are on the outside looking in. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Like, Atlanta is behind them, right? Or they, They've got uh, – what's his name? Broke his finger. He's going to be out for a few weeks. This is an opportunity for the Bulls. They really need Trey Young's kinda, out. Yeah, Trey Young's out for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you got to do something. And and I like the fact that they won the game if for no other reason than hearing Demar Derozan say he was up till six in the morning trying to figure out how in the hell they lost to Detroit. It, it was that dispiriting a loss, and to have that happen, and then to come back and win against a team you haven't beaten in the last seven times you played them. Um, that's good. It's, it's good a good day to, to talk to Casey Johnson. And we'll do that next. KC joins us next. Molly and Hall on the score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now, 
J.C. Johnson. Kobe White, pull up three, over Karis LeVert, and nails it. Bulls insider for NBC Sports Chicago. Give me the sauce. Covering everything from the dynasty to Derek to DeMar. K.C. Johnson. I've covered the NBA for a long time. With Mully and Haw. Moss. On 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. And now joining us on the Circa Sports Illinois Hotline is Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago. Download the Circa Sports app today. KC, how are you this morning? Welcome to the owner op, the team era, Jeff. <laughs> I got to tell you, that, was, that, uh, was, that was that was fun. That's a fun story, the fact that he played – I. I don't know how he's going to defend Giannis. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. That's uh, I, yeah, uh, yeah, but no, it was a fun story, and just the way he uh, handled himself in the post-game interview and the way his teammates celebrated for him was pretty palpable. You know, you can parse the season a lot of ways, and certainly some focus needs to be on the front office and their lack of uh, activity at the trade deadline, but. Being around these guys every day, I mean, I've also been around a lot of other teams, kind of sub-500 or losing teams, and, and not all of them have the, the chemistry that this team does and, and the care for each other. So that's been refreshing to see throughout a season that's featured some me- mediocre basketball at times and then some very exciting basketball at times. So, Casey, educate us. Owner of the team, 6'6", shooting guard, comes from Turkey. He joined the Bulls on a two-way deal, and he's – pressed into action because of all the injuries, what is he capable of? And I know that it's you look around the league and you see all kinds of examples of unknown guys taking advantage of rare opportunities. Heck, there was one on the court opposite the Bulls uh, yesterday that we know very well in this town, and Max Struess. I'm not saying he's Max Struess, but what what is Batim and ideally moving forward, and where did he come from? Well, I think the Struess um, example is a great uh you know, comp and, you know, they get another one in three calls and the Bulls bench and Alice Caruso. People forgot, forget that Alice Caruso, you know, was an undrafted guy who, you know, went from G league to two way to rotation player to starter um, in the NBA. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I I'm not going to lie. I mean, he's been around all season and um, hasn't played. So you don't ask a lot of questions about him. I, that's why I asked him, Martin Rosen, um, in the in the interviews last night, you know what what I asked him the same things. What's he capable of? And the thing that stands out to me, and you've heard this in the little that I've talked about or with him throughout the season until last night, he's played professionally overseas for a long time. I mean, he's an older rookie, so the fact that he's been in high pressurized situations, high profile games, albeit non NBA games, stands out. And so the 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 takeaway quote from Demar was you can just tell he knows how to play. And if DeMar DeRozan is saying that, and DeMar DeRozan isn't a BSer, so if DeMar DeRozan is saying that, the guy knows how to play. Now, the logical follow-up is why hasn't he played to this point? Obviously, you know, the Bulls are down a lot of bodies. It took this drastic of a situation for Billy to finally give him a chance. And look, it's lightning. it could be lightning in a bottle one night, or he could sustain it. We're going to see. I mean, he's certainly going to get an opportunity moving forward, especially – given their three-point shooting. But I thought the big thing that stood out beyond the shooting was, you know, the six rebounds, the presence of mind, the cuts at the right time, the floor spacing. As DeMar DeRozan said, he just looks like he knows how to play. 
Um, I don't know what the long range prognosis, long range prognosis is with Alex Caruso. He felt a tweak of his hamstring during that horrible, horrible loss to Detroit, and um, and couldn't play. Will he be back for Friday? And and seriously, what is the plan for Friday? How are they? You know, you can go big, and they've done that well. And good God, I mean, twenty five rebounds, unbelievable. But um, but I don't know how you're going to be able to match up with Giannis in, in any fashion, given the team you have here. Yeah, no matter if Caruso's healthy or not, you're not obviously going to stop that guy. He's too good. He's having mm-hmm. too good of a season. Caruso certainly can absorb some minutes and fouls against him. Uh, but the other thing is, like, if, look, if Alex even comes back, you're not going to want to throw him out there for 30 minutes against that guy coming off of an injury because then you jeopardize losing him. For more, so I do think, even though it's not the best matchup, because Giannis can obviously, um, you know, get in space and take you on the perimeter sometimes. Although he he has not been shooting the three as much since uh, Lillard got there, uh, I, I do think the answer is just going double big and making them try to match up with you a little bit. I mean, obviously they can do that; they play big as well at times. Um, I don't think Middleton's playing tomorrow night. Um, but look, here's the other thing about Caruso. I mean, we're focused on Giannis. You know, Caruso also matches up against Dame quite a bit. I mean, that's how versatile and elite of a defender he is. So we don't have a definitive timeline. Uh, I can just tell you this, like he's walking around without any issue. Now, obviously that's not NBA basketball, but it was his birthday yesterday. He was in a good mood. He was celebrating as much as anybody with the team and with the team afterwards. So, I mean, they're off today, all-day treatment, 9 p.m. start tomorrow, all-day treatment tomorrow. I assume he'll be listed as questionable on the injury report, and we'll see where it goes from there. Casey, the last time the Bulls had 70 rebounds in a game, they were playing against the 76ers with Doug Collins and Daryl Dawkins in the lineup, and Tom Borwinkle led them, I think, with 14. 74 rebounds last night. That was 1975, by the way. 74 rebounds last night is crazy. Is it all Andre Drummond? Is it? How do you explain what happened and and what you saw? Because that was that was one of the stranger stats you're going to see all season long. Yeah, and I was eight for that game, and I was not on press row, so neither was <laughs> Mully. Okay. <laughs> yeah, how did that post game so, interview with George McGinnis go? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm thinking Gleason's on there with a uh, Lottie Kugel and a tube sock. That's the press row right there. But anyway, I digress. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, look, 25 offensive rebounds, uh, 32 second chance points. I mean, beyond the fact that, you know, you're finishing the defense with defensive rebounding, that's how you win the game right there. When, when you're, you know, not shooting well from three until late, when you're down 12 and easy points aren't coming your way. Um, so, yes, it's uh, as, as Andre told us post-game, it's, it's a simple math equation. You've got two of the best rebounders of all time, and he quickly anointed himself as the best rebounder of all time, which he likes to do. Um, so uh, it, it was, yeah, it was Drummond. And, look, you know, uh, the Cavs have the ability to match up against that with their two bigs. Um, Bickerstaff dropped the double big lineup to start the first overtime, which was a little bit of a surprise. Billy countered, took Andre off until Vooch fouled out. 
So it was a little bit of a chess match within the chess match there, but that's that's right there how they won the game. I mean, 32-second chance points. So um, c- credit to Andre Drummond, third 20-rebound game of the season, and he just continues to play at a high level. Casey, I, I know that um, the loss to um, Detroit was really dispiriting, and I know DeMar DeRozan told you he's up till 6 in the morning as he was kind of replaying that game in his head. Billy said after the game that it was an outlier. Um, I I just wonder what was the bigger outlier, last night's win or the loss to, to those guys? They were both kind of outliers. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think he was more specifically referring to the two for 29 shooting as the outlier. But, I mean, look, that's just an unacceptable loss at this stage of the season. It really is. And to be down 2-1 in that season series, should be embarrassing. I mean, that team has won nine games this season. They do have young talent, but so you can't say, oh, that's a must or, or, or a gimme win for the Bulls. In fact, you know, just in the scuttlebutt in the in the media room pregame, a lot of us were pointing to how this is a trap game because they have the young athleticism. They're coming off a tough loss to the Knicks. So I don't want to discount Detroit, but, you know, they have nine wins for a reason, and you can't lose that game on your home floor. Um, the three-point shooting continues to be a problem. I mean, they're they're uh, 22nd, I want to say, in made three-pointers, so they're still bottom third of the league. Um, and they did hit big threes late last night, which helped. Iowa hit a, hit a couple huge ones. Um, so yeah, it's 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 bad. And you know, if you want to be serious about getting into the playoffs, you, you you can't have margin of error lapses like that, like they did at home against the Pistons, because you're going to need to win two play-in games. And I do think they're pretty locked in in the play-in situation. I mean, there's just too big of a gap between 9 and 11, even though they have a tough schedule coming up. So um, you're going to need to win two play-in games to get into the playoffs and, and face Boston. So you gotta you got to play better in, in, in moments on your home floor. Casey, we raved about Kobe White when he kind of took took off in December and January, and I think he's cooled off, obviously. But Io DeSunmu has had a very good month of February, and over his last 10 games, I think he's averaging 16 points, and the scoring has increased for obvious reasons. There's a lot of guys who aren't there, and he has stepped up and taken advantage. How sustainable do you think that is? What have we seen in terms of the growth from Io DeSunmu this year, and is the scoring the biggest the biggest area that he has improved? Hundred um, percent. And real quick on on Kobe before we get to Isle, I, I, what I liked about Kobe last night is it's another example of him making an impact on the game when he's not shooting well. So he shoots five for twenty, but he almost has a triple double um, with twelve assists, eight rebounds, and he had a block late on Struess that was a complete effort play, just chased down from behind, got up really high and blocked it. So those are the kind of plays that impact winning. And it's a testament to his growth um, on a night where he's not shooting the ball well. Obviously, you'd like to see those shooting numbers change because it's a pretty pronounced slump in the four games since the All-Star break. I only had one of those nights, like everybody did against Detroit. He, again, shot well last night. And and that's that's absolutely the difference. His ability to make the three-point shot consistently and at higher volume just opens up so much for him because he's always had the ability to get downhill, get out in transition. If you go under screens on him now, he's going to bury the three. And he's also in a much better catch-and-shoot situation 
where he's shot ready more often. You can just watch him in the corner. He's got his hands ready. He catches that pass. He's got a quick release. And he still has that pretty elite finishing ability. So um, he's a two-way player, and he's a two-way player on a value contract. And whether he's a starter, sixth man, seventh man on a championship team, that doesn't matter. He is a competitor, and he brings it every night and, um, you know, just really has put the work in to put the shooting woes that he had from beyond the arc last season behind him. And the credit goes to him and his work ethic, and um, that's, that's, a, that's a value contract for the Bulls for the next two seasons. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of fascinating to, to think about, about, you know, where he was and what kind of season he's had and how you view him now. Um, what do you think when we start talking about 23 games left and what you'd have to do, whether you can make a move? I know – out of the uh, all-star break a year ago, nobody moved in the Eastern Conference. Every team that was uh, in their position kind of stayed there. Do you see any difference in, in the teams that you're looking at now in what the Bulls are able to do? Did they kind of miss that window of easier games? Is this going to be um, similar to what we've seen the last couple of nights moving forward here? Yeah, well, they've got, as you mentioned, 23 left. I don't see them going 14-9, and nine, which yeah. was the celebrated end of last season. I think the schedule is just too tough. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got a really tough West Coast trip next week. you got Milwaukee coming in here on Friday. Milwaukee's obviously gettable because they're an up-and-down team, but it's going to take a, a big effort, especially if Caruso's out. I, like I said before, I, I just see them staying at, at nine. I, th- there's too big of a gap between nine and eight and there's too big of a gap between nine and 11 you know atlanta's a game and a half back at 10 but without trey young for a while i think you probably stay ahead of them so i'm just guessing obviously but i see them staying at nine and like i said they're gonna have to win two playing games just like they did last year to get into the playoffs the difference would be obviously if they stay at nine you get one of those at home and that's why when you brought up the the Pistons game, Molly, I said you just can't have those kind of lapses yep. on your home court. I mean, that's going to be, assuming they stay at nine, you know, an opportunity to get one on your home court before you travel for the other playing game. So I think they're going to be nine. Um, they've got a, like I said, a pretty tough schedule, but um, I just think there's too much separation between these other teams. Casey, I know today's NBA is different than what we watched growing up and it's evolved even more this season and lately. But when Javon Carter made a great back cut, got a good feed from Vooch and passed up an open layup to feed Kobe White for a three that he missed, what went through your mind? Was that a smart basketball play? Is that the way you have to do it these days? I I really, and I could be wrong, obviously in in a game with that many uh, plays and and that much drama, that gets lost somewhat in the shuffle because it happens in the second quarter. If that was kind of a pedestrian regular season game, I, I, I go to him and ask him. I'm not sure he saw the, how open he was. <laughs> I, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm wrong. And I He's a pretty smart player, and that just looked really bad. And, I mean, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And he had, he had, his, he had his head turn when he made the back cut and never looked back at the rim when he gathered the pass. So I want to assume that he thought help was there and that he was just making the extra pass rotation. But 
Yeah, to your point, I mean, it actually harkened back to me to the season where, you know, Boylan was in charge and they he talked so much about changing their shot pro- profile. And that happened all the time where they would drive into the to the lane and they kick out to three for uh, three pointers, oftentimes to, to market it. Um, so that, that, that's where it went to, for me. And, um, it was, you know, on, uh, on Twitter and on repeat, uh, for a reason. I mean, that was a pretty, pretty, uh, oversight play right there by Javon Carter. Uh, Casey, you mentioned the clutch, uh, minutes thing again. Uh, you've done, you've mentioned that quite a bit. I think it's an, a really, I think it's a confounding statistic for me because I read that and I read how they're doing in clutch. They're playing so many clutch minutes. Is it, do I read that as a DeMar DeRozan statistic? They just happen to have like an extraordinarily clutch player or I mean, what, why are they three games under 500 if they've got such a good record in clutch games and in overtime games and, and all that, I, 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 it really is. It, it is the damnedest statistic I've ever seen. Yeah, and the reason I keep mentioning it is because they play one every damn game. I yeah, mean, they're, they're, yeah. it, it, they they have an uncanny ability to play close games. So it, all it says is that they're just in a lot of close games, and um, a clutch game is defined as any game within five points with five minutes or less to play. So that they're in they're, that that just to me shows that this is a pretty stuck in the middle team right. that has very little margin of error and most of their games go down to the wire. Now, the difference to your point, Molly, is they they've fared better in them this season than they did last season. They're not the level at the level of DeMar's first season when they were one of the best teams in the league in clutch games. They they are one of the better teams, but they're not elite. Um so, you know, they they do have the best Record in over well they played the most overtime games I don't know if they have the best winning percentage but they're now six and three in overtime games so you could just imagine where this season would be if they hadn't you know won some of these games in the dramatic fashion that they have and it, it goes back to that first point you say what you want about you know the management or the nitpicking or you know they are stuck in the middle or their future all that stuff you got to give these players some credit man they they are battling shorthanded and staying in games where, you know, a lot of teams would have quit last night, down 12, fourth quarter, back to back, bad loss to Detroit the night before. A lot of teams would have quit. I mean, that, that happens in the NBA and it didn't happen last night. And I think the players deserve a lot of credit for that. Casey, I hope you get a little bit of a bonus after saving NBC sports Chicago from getting fined by the FCC post game. When you (laughs) took the microphone away from a swearing Andre Drummond, that was very good, quick on your feet. Nice move. The best part was the best part was when I took it away and said, "We can't say that on live TV." He said, "I'm going to say it again." He came after me. Well, you are so, very yeah, nimble. It's, uh, it's, it's battle pay out there, man. I don't I don't know what's going on anymore. I've lost all control, and I, I'm not sure I ever had it, but I'm just hanging out for dear life and wherever uh, it goes, it goes. Doing a great job, great stuff. Thanks, Thank Casey. Appreciate it. Right, Appreciate it. That is Casey Johnson. That was That's funny. Great stuff. It was funny. Um, yeah, that's something. Hey, can I read you a headline? I, I want to read you a headline because I want to get into this a little bit. But this is from Yahoo Sports. I think this headline speaks to me. It says, Caleb Williams, quote, excited for whatever comes, comma, close quote, even if he's drafted by Bears. That's the headline. We'll get into that. 
<laughs> Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Chicago's Pizza Day is fire. Oh, no way. I can't do that. What? Deep dish? No, 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 no. No, no, trust me. The tomato soup. (laughs) If I wanted tomato soup, I would ask for tomato soup. I'm saying there's this deep dish pizza, and it's like a big old slab of uh, sausage on top of the pizza. That's nasty. (laughs) No, no, no. Trust me. It's fire. Really? I've been down to try it. Where is that? D.C.? Uh, They have one in... They probably have some in D.C. They probably have some here, obviously, but... They got him. They got him in yeah. Chicago. The fire. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, six seven of the score. That is the voice of Caleb Williams, and he was on some podcast or other talking about Chicago, you know, pizza. Well, pizza, pizza, deep dish, yeah, or stuffed pizza. I think I mean, the, when I grew up, we called it stuffed pizza, like the, point of that is not what pizza he prefers. The point of that, I think, is getting used to what his voice sounds like because I think it will be a familiar one for years to come in Chicago. Yeah. Caleb Williams is going to have a lot to say. I think we're going to hear from him a lot. I think the Bears are going to draft him. I think it's all headed in that direction. And the suggestion from the headline you read was the Bears are going to draft him, like it or not. And I think it's a gross He's overreaction. Excited, even if it's the damn Bears. I, how do you explain that? Because I, I, I want to. I think context is very important. You know that I. Mm. Try, well, I, I mean, it, it is a very, Yahoo headline. It's and very it important. Is, it is a. Uh, it is basically a story where you use the um, quotes from Pete Thamel. So it's a rewriting of quotes from Aggregate. Justin Fields. It's an yes. aggregator. It's an. It's a. It's yeah. an aggregation of a. Of a of some quotes, and so you're writing a story around it. So the lead of the story, it's by uh, Liz Rocher, mm-hmm. and the uh, the lead of the story is Caleb Williams, the likely number one overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft, is very excited about what the future holds, even though he doesn't know where exactly uh, that future will be taking place. The 22-year-old quarterback out of USC knows he's in line to be drafted number one by the Chicago Bears, mm-hmm. a team with deep, deep problems that may be preparing to send their current quarterback, Justin Fields, out the door to make room for Williams. <laughs> the Bears aren't exactly a premier destination for quarterbacks these days, and walking into the locker room that only recently belonged to Fields has the potential to be really awkward. But Williams is at peace with whatever happens. He can't control it, so he's doing his best to focus on the many, many positives. And then he goes. Then she goes into Back to the quotes, quotes from yeah. Pete Thamel. 
I don't know the writer, but I will say this. This is the problem with what where the sports media is. And I'll just stick it, I'll just leave it to the sports media at this point. It, where we are right now. Fact versus opinion. Uh, letting somebody else's words passes your own reporting. And I think what this does is a, is a very blurry, fuzzy line. Molly, that's making a lot of assumptions that just aren't fair to make. And fairness has been lost in this entire thing. Caleb Williams was having, th- having things held against him that he never said. That he really no. didn't have a chance to no. dispute until yesterday. No. Now, you can, you can point out and question the timing of the ESPN story if you wish. Sure. You can be skeptical of the, you know, the, the placement of it and who wrote it. Whatever you want to do. But let's be fair here in terms of evaluating what situation Caleb Williams would be coming into. It's it, the Bears quarterback history is what it is, but objectively speaking, the context of him joining the Chicago Bears, third largest market in the NFL, a defense that's ready to win now, and the questions about the warmth of his welcome from his teammates has been largely overstated because if you can play, you will fit in quickly regardless of what yeah. the previous quarterback was or wasn't to his team. Um, you, you could also throw in there that they have a legitimate number one receiver in DJ Moore, which they haven't had for many a year. And, um, and I think that, that that very fact, the very fact that they have um, a guy like DJ Moore on the offense, it, there's a lot of people who – you need more. You got to keep doubling down. You got to get more receivers. You need another tight. We all know the weaponry, but you have more than you've had for a long time. How good is DJ Moore? Where does he fit into the pantheon of Bears receivers? And I'm talking like ever. He's all time. As good. Yes. He's as good as anybody they've yes. had in the modern era. I, I really and, think he has, and he, and he is. And I think, <laughs> I think. There's a lesson to that as well. Um, I think there's a lesson to the fact. Let, let's look at it this way. So the Bears have these draft picks. Uh, they have some very high draft picks. They presumably will be adding to their draft kitty if indeed they end up trading Justin Fields, as um, as was indicated, mm-hmm. or uh, the possibility of which was indicated during their initial meeting at the at the combine. Um, so I think that you start imagining what this roster could look like in another year, and you're, you're thinking that they're going to be improved even upon what they are. Now, when I talk to people about that, and even, even some texters and some listeners will say things like, well, uh, you know, don't forget they got all this money in free agency. And, you know, I don't, I don't believe I think the lesson of the Bears uh, and the way that they built this team is that that's really largely irrelevant in terms of how you improve your football team. In other words, what you would prefer to do is to trade a draft pick and get a guy like DJ Moore, among other things. Trade a draft pick and get a guy like Montez Sweat who you then have to pay. But I don't know that going into the free agent market, even with $80 million, when the price of talent 
is so expensive. When the projection of players from one scheme into another is so uncertain. I don't know that going out and buying a player in the offseason is the path forward for the Bears. Well, the thing you have always always have to accept when you go into free agency is you understand you're going to overpay. Yes. And you can't really make a living or build a roster, a winning roster that way. What you do benefit from, from having all the cap space, is being able to, once you get players in those kind of trades, Montez Sweat, DJ Moore, you're able to pay them to keep them because you have the luxury of having salary cap space. So DJ Moore might be the next guy sure. you see uh, having a contract extension if he is rewarded for the season he had and the future he's going to have. The point about DJ Moore being the number one wide receiver if Caleb Williams is the quarterback next year cannot be overstated because that is so important. When you look at what the Bears have done in previous <laughs> previous rookie quarterback experiments, Mitch Trubisky, you know who led the Bears in, in receiving the year Mitch Trubisky started 12 games as a rookie? Kendall Wright. Mm. You remember Kendall Wright? Yeah. He had 59 catches that year. Wow. Justin Fields came into a mess in, when, when he was a rookie and, and took over. He didn't have uh, an offensive coordinator, an offensive plan. He didn't have an infrastructure that was conducive to success. Caleb Williams is coming into a situation that is not the Chiefs, it's not as good as it could be and other teams have. But he has DJ Moore. He has a new offensive coordinator. And potentially he'll have an offensive line. The Bears may take an offensive tackle at number nine. Then they're going to have bookend first-round draft picks if they go that route. If not, they may go offense with a receiver at number nine. They're going to likely look at that spot to supplement an offense to make him better. So eventually, one day, he can make everyone else better. That's a good situation. Yeah, I, I just think that it's kind of a it's kind of a fun period of time for the Bears right now because they did tear down the roster, they did make a really big trade, and now they're sitting again atop the draft, and they still have another first round pick which could be really valuable. And I know a lot of people want to move down from that pick, but let's see, let's see what you would get if you do indeed end up trading the quarterback. I, I, I don't know that it's a fait accompli that you got to move down. I don't think it from is the ninth spot. You might it, end up getting an unbelievable value pick. We there. have a lot of time left to, to weigh that, and, yeah. and obviously the focus is certainly on the number one pick. But Molly, you mm-hmm. look at the ninth pick, and they could either get a difference-making wide receiver, they could get a offensive uh, anchor at, at left tackle and Joe Walt, or they could get the first defensive player off the board. It's unbelievable. <laughs> they could. The yeah. Bears conceivably. Be the team, if there's a run on quarterbacks, if there's a run on wide receivers, they could take the number one offensive player off the board and the number one defensive player off the board. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? Why is that not a good situation? Oh, that's a great situation. This offseason is a luxury for the Bears. There are all kinds of good decisions that need to be made. You you can get the first quarterback, so you have first choice of anything in the draft, right? When you get the first player at a position – that is a very unique and wonderful circumstance. If you end up going with, say, the third wide receiver in a draft in which there are three uh, three receivers considered, you know, capable of being number one style guys in the league, that is a pretty special thing. Um, if you're getting a second offensive tack, whatever it might be, you you got a chance to get 
a, like a really good premier position. It's about it's about premier positions, especially with high draft picks. And and you know, you would rather have a premier p- a position than say the first fullback taken, the first guard taken, whatever it might be. You'd rather have the premier spot. So that's where you can get those those picks. You get the first pass rusher out of a draft, that's usually a pretty good player. Yeah, usually a pretty good player that's going to, if he comes to Chicago, not have as much pressure on him as some places he could land because you have Montez Sweat opposite you. Already there. And you have a defense that is already successful. So there's not going to be as much pressure on you to carry as big of a, a load or as heavy of a burden as it might be if you go to a defense that's really struggling and you're going to get the the majority of the focus from every offense you play. What do you think about what's going on with the uh, with the Chiefs? You know, they're, they're trying to figure out a long-term contract with Chris Jones. They're trying to get that one uh, hammered down. And as a result, they're probably – not going to franchise a cornerback, and he's a player who's a really good player, could be on the free agent market. Well, Jerry Sneed's one of the best cornerbacks be, in football. Yeah, sign and but trade. Don, he's guy. been given permission to seek yes. a trade. What I think about with Kansas City, like they did with Chris Jones, they worked it out. I also think about with Kansas City, they got rid of Tyree Kill and they won two Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be okay as long as 15's there. <laughs> I, yeah. It's not ideal. But they have the luxury, Brett Veach has the luxury of letting these guys explore their own options, kind of see what's out there, and then make a decision. I don't think the Chiefs are going to be in that. That defense was one of the big reasons they won again, but I think they would be just fine Yeah, moving forward. Different scenario than with the Bears. The Bears need Jalen Johnson more than the Chiefs need LeJarrius Sneed. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not arguing that, but um, but it's uh, it, it's kind of an interesting. Um, yeah, idea. I don't want to. I don't want to. Oh, we I can ask dis- Mark Grody about. It. We'll talk to Grody at eight. He's down okay. at the combine. But I heard him say he wasn't overly impressed with Caleb Williams physically, and and I found that interesting. Well, you're not supposed to be, right? I mean, you're. He he doesn't have this. He's not this six four imposing figure. Uh, for for Mark to see in the hallway, he just looks like a normal guy. It's his ability. He's not to physically as, as yes. imposing as a Justin Fields would be. Right, Justin Fields. You look at him and he's cut and he's physical, and you can see how he's running through tackles time and again. With Caleb Williams, he's more slight and he's not as tall. Yep. and he might not be as intimidating, especially to a guy like Grody. What what the hell does that mean? You it means that? Grody's a strapping man. He's got you know he's you look at Mark Grody and you kind of wither. Yeah, we all do. We all get a man among men. Yes, Mark Grody. He's an intimidating figure. <laughs> he lean. He he uh, he looms over us like a colossus. I hope that he didn't shave this morning, so he looks a little bit more like Flucy every day. Yeah, I think he's got all the photos up, and he's kind of you know he's gluing in little strands of beard. I think he probably. You're the puts, one who said he came into uh, wispy. He's a little wispy, a little yeah. wispy. Right now, he's probably pumping some iron in the hotel weight room. Okay, we'll talk to Crowdy in a little bit. We'll get to your phone line into the phone calls three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. Are you expecting anything out of the uh, out of the next market here, the free agent market, or do you want the Bears to kind of sit chilly a little bit and uh, maybe not maybe not do the most uh, 
expensive spending you can do, which, of course, is uh, premier guys in the market. 312-644-6767. Mullion Hall on the score. I'd like to avoid the franchise tag uh, for him. I think there's a really good space uh, for us to find a middle ground. Um, again, we always have the tag to, to use, but I really would like to, to get something done long term. Molly and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 of the score. That is the voice of Ryan Poles. He is the general manager of the Bears. He sees a middle ground. He sees a middle ground that is uh, that is uh, a good place to get a deal done with Jalen Johnson. Doesn't want to use the tag. They do have the tag. If you were putting book on it right now, what would you guess is, are the odds they end up using the tag? Well, I don't know about playing odds. I'm not. Uh, you I'm, do it. I'm not, I'm not Mr. Circa, but I do together. think that it's 60-40 that they tag them. Mm. And I guess whatever odds that ends up being, I think it's more of a. They're still right now until they do it. My sense is that until they don't do it, until they announce a contract extension that is conducive and to to keeping a guy happy and 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 keeping your defense whole. I'm skeptical because I felt like what we heard the other day was very encouraging. I love the fact that they're both talking. I like the idea that they're making progress. And I love the transparency in Orion Poles. But until they have a deal, they don't have a deal. Mm. And you're one step closer to using the franchise tag, uh, a tool that no general manager likes to use and players can't stand it. But I don't think that there's any reason to believe that they won't do it in this in this case. I still think it's 60-40 they tag them. Yeah, I think it is too. I think that's a good percentage. I think it's it's more likely than not that they end up having to tag the guy because when you talk about the good contract and the growth and you talk about the middle ground, that's not what the player is thinking. The player is thinking, I went into free agency. I have I have taken this thing – I have taken all the risk and I got through it and I've proven by having my best season when it mattered most, I've proven that I am a franchise player and I deserve a long, a long time deal with the, the, with the organization. And the general manager looks at it like, well, we, you know, we want to sign you. We want to get you a, a deal, but we also don't want to be setting a new mark for players in the league. And the player thinks, I should be the highest-paid player in the league. No general manager wants to set the new market for no. a position. <laughs> they went through that with Roquan Smith. Remember that rhetoric mm. surrounding that deal and how did that turn out? I don't think it's going to be the similar situation. I think they'll figure out a he way. Was the, he was the MVP of the Super Bowl, I believe. <laughs> oh, wait. But he was a Pro Bowl player. He's a Pro Bowl player. He's an all-pro linebacker. He is worth the investment that the Ravens worth made in him. I think what happens, too, is that they have these conversations and then maybe they anticipated this in their negotiations we're not privy to, but the news that the salary cap rose to $255.8 million to me makes it more likely that they're going to tag him than come to an agreement because if I'm his representation, immediately my asking price went up because of the luxury that every team now has. They're not up against cap against the cap the bears have 80 million dollars which is great to have until you're dealing with an agent across the table saying okay now things have changed well this is an excellent point that i think we should get to that's not good for the bears the cap going up 
this year, not a great, not not a great tournament. Not when they're in the, the midst of a yes. contract negotiation with one of their more valuable players, because now it makes makes it seem like well, paying him what he wants to be the highest paid cornerback in football, north of twenty one million dollars per year, it seems like a lot to you, Ryan Poles and George McCaskey and Kevin Warren. But to the player, it's like, well, when you look at the percentage of the cap it now yes. represents, yes. maybe not. Let's go a little higher. And, and, Let's go a little higher. And I think that the other element is they've got the third most cap space available. So that's not going away if the numbers were crunched more and other teams were abutting the cap and didn't couldn't bid for some of these players as the Bears would be capable of doing. That would probably be better for the Bears. The problem now is that everybody has money and everybody that uh, you thought was going to have a cap problem has got a little more wiggle room and a little more breathability. True, they do. And that's not good for the Bears. It's not good for the Bears, but I like the the sports are entirely different. Don't like to compare deals and situations, but much like Cody Bellinger saw the value in returning to a Cub team that he felt like there was unfinished business and he fit in well. Jalen Johnson has to see the value. I don't know what price tag you put on it, but there is value in, number one, returning to a Bears organization, which you feel comfortable, and a defense that you think is going to be elite. That helps him get those numbers. That helps him play at a higher level. So that can't be ignored when he is evaluating who else has cap space. Maybe one of the teams with cap space isn't a team that he feels like would be a good football fit. Maybe financially it'd be better, what, how are you going to weigh one against the other? Sometimes the players ignore that because the representation wants the best deal. It always comes down to money. I think Jalen Johnson is here next year, be it on a longer-term deal at the Bears' price or on a one-year franchise tag. He'll I be think here. he's here. He'll be here either way. Yeah. But I, and yeah. I think they eventually will get it done, but that deadline, I think, will come and they will tag him, but they still have the opportunity – won't they be still be able to work I, something out? I would imagine so. Dave is on the Odyssey app. Hey, Dave. Dave? Hey, Dave. Hey, how you doing, guys? Good. There you are. Okay, buddy. Good, good. Um, if Caleb Williams starts, is he going to be better than Justin Fields, considering all the additions that the Bears are supposed to bring in? Yes. Long-term, yes. The ceiling is higher the chances for winning are greater. The shot at a Super Bowl is more significantly increased by drafting Caleb Williams. That's the point of the exercise and the reason they'll do that. Yes. Fair enough. We're going to bring in uh, – no, I'm not arguing that. I, I, I just think – I don't know why he termed it. I'm just – I was debating in my mind what he meant about the other things they're bringing in. So – if they sign a center, if they sign a – is he implying that Caleb Williams wouldn't be as good as Justin Fields unless they improve all these other things? I don't, I don't know what there's a, there's a suggestion out there by the Justin Fields supporters that if you put Caleb Williams in the same situation the last three years, he would struggle just as mightily. Yes. And I don't know if that's true or not. And I, I think it's impossible to prove or disprove. A, it is impossible to figure. But I, I just was – curious about the way he worded it all right we are going to go down to the combine we are going to get in line for a cup of joe with a gentleman by the name of mark grody and i don't think he's actually standing in line for coffee i think he's pretending to so he can interview people 
So it's going to be fun. Looking he'll be, busy. He'll be talking to us, but he'll be jumping in with various interviews as we talk to him. Nah, no, he'll just talk to us, I hope. Mark Grody next, Mully and Haw on the score. It's Grody time, and that means it's time for Mark Grody with Mully and Haw. Bears. On 670 The Score. Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score. It's time for that one guy. He has been, he continues to be, he will be moving forward. Uh, you know who he is. He's Mark Rody. And now joining us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline is Mark Rody, CircaLasVegas.com. Good morning, Mark. How are you, buddy? Good morning, Molly and Haw. You guys are sounding great, and uh, we're just getting started here at the the Combine here on the Thursday portion of the week. And uh, I am currently, right now, if you happen to be watching on Twitch right now on 670 The Score, I am in the, uh, the giant convention hall, the media row area. So there's all sorts of traffic updates and sports updates and all sorts of contest giveaways going on right now <laughs> here on media what? row. It's crazy. I just brought a bag of goodies. It's like, it's unbelievable with all the media. Free food is flying. And then behind this giant curtain, again, if you're watching, and I, I encourage you to do that, um, is where the, the player interviews will resume in a little bit. And when I say the player interviews, I'm talking about the ones that we get to conduct with the players as the drama continues to build up to tomorrow. Tomorrow's like the Super Bowl. This is like Super Bowl weekend, and tomorrow's the big day when all the quarterbacks talk. In a little bit, after I get done with you guys, I'm going to go talk to some safeties because the Bears do have an opening at safety. You look really animated, Mark Grody. You look real energetic on the Twitch stream. People need to check that out twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 to score. What are you looking forward to most today if you are you know, anticipating tomorrow? Don't write off today, Grody. Stay busy. Be active. Be productive. What are, what are you going to do today? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Haw, and uh, thanks for noticing my enthusiasm. I get excited for this stuff. Man. You know, you guys know how it is when you're when you're covering something on the road, you're just kind of going on adrenaline and you're completely off of your regular schedule. And that's why you have plenty of caffeine. And this is one of the most caffeinated uh, buildings in the state. As for today, um, the, the safeties are talking. We know that Eddie Jackson was obviously released by the Bears. So there is an opening. I'm not completely clear on how, how they value that safety spot opposite of Jaquan Brisker because he is the guy that is the primary safety now who will they, they will look to compliment him as opposed to Eddie Jackson who was complimented by players all of those other years you know one of the top safeties that I'm looking forward to talking to and as a matter of fact on my own little Bears mock draft with the Bears picks specifically I do have them taking in the fourth round a safety named Evan Williams a safety out of Oregon. So I'm going to look forward to talking to him. Also, there's a couple of, of USC defensive players that are going to speak today. So I'm looking really forward. You know the angle I'm going here. I'm I looking do. forward to talking to those guys about practicing with Mr. Caleb Williams and what it's like to defend him. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting day here today talking to some uh, defensive backs and see if there's anything plausible for the Bears. Um, I don't know if you've been in touch with Joe Ostrowski, but Joe let us know this morning that uh, the odds for Justin Fields' next team are in. 
uh, minus 425, the Atlanta Falcons, plus 240, the Chicago Bears. He is more likely to be in Atlanta than Chicago if you're making a bet. Next up is the Steelers at plus 380, plus 1,200, the Raiders, the Giants, plus 18, plus 2,200, the the Patriots, plus 4,000, the Broncos commander, and plus 5,000, the Bucks. I just find that fascinating that the odds are that he will be with Atlanta over Chicago, even though he's already on the Bears. Well, it's the it's the easy way to go, and we've all been putting that together. Oh, he's from Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta needs a quarterback. Oh, Atlanta's got a whole bunch of weapons that are just sort of dormant right now. You know, it, it does feel like that would be a good fit for Justin Fields, and I know that he doesn't necessarily have a choice in the matter, although Ryan Poles keeps on saying that he's going to do good by Justin Fields. I don't know. I, I was conflicted in listening to him talk on the St. Brown podcast, and, you know, he talked about Atlanta. It sounded to me that, you know, would just to oversimplify it, it sounded to me that Justin Fields thought the idea of going to Atlanta sounds like a pain in the butt. Like, he had zero enthusiasm about that idea, about being ambushed by all the people at home and needing to get tickets and all that. It sounds like that that's not ideal for him, but, but I'm sure that he would come around. You know, all those other teams are plausible, too. One team that I know he's not going to end up going to or be traded to, uh, and I'll let Joe Ostrowski know about this, is the Raiders. There's no way that's going to happen because you're not going to put Justin Fields back with Luke Getze again. That's just not going to happen. So Steelers would be interesting. Kind of out, Well, not outside the box, but, you know, a little bit behind Atlanta. But, yeah, on the overall, I would probably agree that that seems to be from the people that I've talked to out here and anybody that wants to give an opinion, it does sound like Atlanta is the most plausible uh, trading partner. But you never know. There's been, there's, we all know that be prepared for a surprise party. I didn't see coming what happened last year as soon as it did with the, the trading of the number one pick and the DJ Moore pick. But we're, we're not looking at that scenario this year. All right, Groats, I know you're a hockey guy, but when you look at Caleb Williams face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and if you've seen him in Indianapolis, have have you said that he's smaller than you think? His stature is not what it needs to be to you be an NFL he's a, quarterback? You, you said he's a tiny little fella, and you thought you might steal him is while that you what, were there. Did you, is that accurate, Grody? <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I don't want to run into this guy. I might knock him over. I mean, I was like, unbelievable. No, no let me just. Let me, let me set this up. Let me set this up for you guys. So there is a one of the hallways that leads directly into the dome. It's attached to the convention center. And for people who don't know, we don't get to actually watch the workout. So you can get into Lucas Oil Stadium. There's a big hallway. And I was just kind of hanging out, loitering around there, seeing who I could talk to, you know, doing a little bit of uh, people watching because it's fascinating, you know, to see all the, the head coaches and the agents and see who they're hanging out with, you know, see a Jim Harbaugh coming in, walking solo, seeing a tense Sean Payton. And I'm just sitting there and I'm literally getting ready to go on the air with Bernstein and Holmes and Layla yesterday. And I see a, uh, a guy intensely um, videoing and a what looks to be a, a player, which is not uncommon. And then I'm just looking at him. I'm not too impressed. And I'm like, he seems kind of unassuming. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's Caleb freaking Williams right there. And no, he, he, because he, just, he, he did not 
strike me when I saw him is, oh, look at that athlete. You know what I mean? Like, um, so he, I think he's bigger than Bryce Young, but I, it was noticeable to me his size. Like, it, it, it really, it really was. And I, as I've been saying, it is what it is. That's what I saw. But I, I am not one of those who is considerably worried about it with Caleb Williams because. He has done what he has done at USC dealing with that. I know the NFL is a different animal, but this guy with the arm angles that he has, his his ability to get out of the pocket and make plays and to adjust, I think that he's going to be okay. How how long did you have to stay in Ryan Paul's closet in order to eavesdrop on that interview with uh, Caleb Williams? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it was tough. Here's the thing. This is why I'm drinking all the coffee. I just, they locked the doors here and I just camped out and (laughs) got the lowdown. No, I am, I'm definitely looking forward though to hearing more about the meeting. I'm sure that we'll, you know, the standard, did you, did you do the darts or did you do the the golf balls? And we'll ask all the questions. I promise you that if, if somebody doesn't, I will asking him about the whole thing about the, the desire to go to Chicago, his dad's parts. In, in all of this. Certainly, I'll ask about the height concerns and all of that, but it'll be interesting to hear what he says about that because we know what the concerns were coming in. It sounds like, you know, per that ESPN report by Pete Thamel, that a lot of that has been cleared up. But I, look, we, we all collectively, and most importantly, the Bears and Ryan Poles still need to hear that from him and need to hear how he says it. Context is important in this case. So you're still skeptical because I think that story was very interesting and I felt like it was the most important development of the Caleb Williams speculation season. He he corrected a lot of things that had been, you know, I think misinformation, inaccurate, Mark. And I think the perception of Caleb Williams largely could have changed because of that story. And I guess he gets another opportunity on Friday to do some more I guess, correcting. How much do you think that could change the narrative of his pre-draft process? It'll change it all, David. I mean, I think that people just need to hear it from him, and I think that we will all give him the benefit of the doubt unless he gets up there and we could just detect that he's being disingenuous and he's going through the motions and he's not putting giving a full explanation. I, mean, I think that you know I have a good enough antenna that I could tell when a player is being real about something but in terms of I don't know if the stuff that we've been hearing David has necessarily been inaccurate I think that that it's very possible that when Caleb Williams and his camp heard that the Bears had the number one pick they were like oh man and it's very possible that that was not a very exciting option for them but once they start once some of that stuff got out they realized even if that is the truth even if that there is some truth to them not wanting to go here there's a lane that they had to pick. Do you want to start, Caleb Williams, do you want to start your NFL career by being difficult, essentially? Do you really want that? And it appears to me that they do not want that because, you know, I heard you guys talking about the, the Colin Coward stuff the other day, you know, in terms of him having to, to backtrack on saying mm. that the camp was not interested and then, you know, so that that was the beginning of it. They're like, hey, yo, we're not, we don't want to do this. We know how we feel. We'll keep our opinions to ourselves from now on, put our heads down and play ball. So, I, and, and I do think, you know, like in, in this case that once, if it is Caleb Williams, once he comes to the Bears, 
and he's here for a while. I think he's going to be just fine. And I, hey, guys, I understand. Like, I understand where Caleb Williams or any quarterback is coming from if they look side eyed at coming to the Chicago Bears. Why wouldn't you, considering the lack of success that the Bears have had at quarterback? But ultimately, I don't think it's going to be a problem, but I do want to confirm it tomorrow, and that's what we will do. Mark Rohde is covering the NFL Combine this week, and he will be hosting on-the-clock specials tonight and tomorrow from 6 to 7 p.m. with exclusive content from Indianapolis. Mark scheduled to be joined by Chris Sims Josina Anderson, and so much more. On the Clock with Mark Rohde can be heard right here on 670 The Score and, of course, the Odyssey app. Um, You know, okay, I I loved reading the Pete Thamel story. There's a lot of things that jumped out to me about it, and it was was a, a certain relief, although I felt it was also a confirmation because the general manager had told us the day before, don't worry about any of that stuff. He's fine with the Bears, etc. So that was uh, confirmation of what the general manager had said. I'm wondering, Mark, the, the, uh, the story is that he won't be taking part in any of the medical testing, that he's not going to have uh, an x-ray, nary an MRI for uh, a Caleb Williams. Are we? And, and, I, and then I look at the teams he's talking to, and it's a curious collection of teams because obviously – we know the top of the draft wants to talk to him. But then there are other teams uh, that would have to probably trade up in order to get an opportunity to, to take him. I just wonder if you have any idea how he chose the teams he's willing to interview with, including both New York teams and the, uh, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, and, um, and, and what does it mean to you about uh, – not wanting all his medical stuff shared with every team in the league. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's worried about that measuring stick. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really. Is he sure going to be measured? I, and I'm serious. I mean, are we going to get like the exact height and weight? And and you know, he's not taking part in throwing or or lifting or anything like that. We know that. But I'm very curious about what his hand size is. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I am too. I my guess, Molly is that we will get the the height weight thing down. I mean, I know that if he can avoid it, he will, but that's just such an easy thing. And I think that that probably will happen now in terms of the, the poking and the prodding and the, the medical stuff, quite frankly, I, I don't know. I don't understand why he wouldn't want to go with that. I mean, even if there is some sort of, um, like uh, minor injury or whatever the case may be. I don't think that that's going to hurt his draft stock unless there's something ridiculous or crazy that's completely vulnerable that we don't know about. So I'm a little bit confused about that part, and that will definitely be another question. And who knows? Who knows what develops here today, and could he possibly still do the medicals? I'm keeping that possibility open. Um, so, so we'll see. I, I mean, I just think it's kind of a mess in that regard. In terms of the the teams that that potentially or, or are or have met with Caleb Williams at this point, yeah, some of those things did catch my interest. Like you know, you mentioned the the Minnesota portion of it. I don't know exactly how or, or how he decided to you know accept these meetings other than it's very possible that those are the teams that called him he said yeah sure i'll meet i'll meet with you guys and from Hmm. their side 
you know, hey, if this guy is the a generational quarterback, and I know that we've hit people over the head with that and overused that terminology, then some of these teams, the Jets, Minnesota, that they are going to, you know, there are so many teams that are going to do what they have to do to potentially get this guy. And, you know, and as people have been saying all week, you know, expect something. Ryan Pohl said it. Expect yeah. something crazy to happen. Who knows what? Because we all think we know what's going to go down. And we've got our scenarios in our head. We know what the betting line is in terms of, uh, in terms of Caleb Williams and the Atlanta trade. But there's always the wild card. And I think that that sets up for the potential of it. So I know you're talking to safeties today and you get a glimpse of that. Yesterday was the edge rushers and defensive linemen. We heard from a lot of guys, and I think that they were you know, all possibilities. There's a couple of them that could be there at number nine. What were you looking for yesterday from those experiences and interactions? And has anything happened this week that you didn't expect in terms of a memorable meeting or interview or nugget that you unearthed? Yeah, I think that the most interesting guy that I've talked to at the Combine, maybe even in a couple of years, actually, and a guy that I didn't know much about, is UCLA edge rusher uh, Liatu Latu, yeah. who had 13 sacks last year. He had 10 and a half the year before that. This is a guy with a great story, too, because the year before, like three years ago, his, his rookie year, this guy basically had a broken neck, you know, and it was told, you're done with football. And now here he is, back-to-back years of double-digit sacks, and is considered by some as the top defensive end on the board. And he is a super gregarious, fun, interesting guy. There, you know, I sent that back there, so you guys should listen to that sometime. He's, he's a really interesting dude. Um, and he, he, you know, he said he had a blast with the Bears. You know, he did meet with the Bears. He said he had fun with the – he got a kick out of the darts thing and the golf thing. But he, he is a super talented prospect. I don't know if he is – 30 or he's what the bears want at number nine um a couple of the other guys i think my top defensive end on the board and i talked to him yesterday is dallas turner um out of alabama right uh, 11 sacks last year 15 and a half tackles for loss he's my top guy um other other dudes too that i talked to jared verse of florida state Another guy who's kind of a late bloomer. You know, he, he had his growth spurt late, and now he's up to 6'4", 251, and he, he didn't look like he was going to even make it out of high school uh, or into a major program. And then, then uh, you know, one of the better athletes in the group, too, a guy that was pretty impressive is Chop Robinson out of Penn State. He did have a leg injury last year, um, so he only played in seven games, but he did have four sacks, and he is 100% healthy as well. You know, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but – um, I think it would probably, to me, it would probably be a surprise at this point if the Bears, if they do keep that number nine pick or that's what it is, I think I would be a little bit surprised if they go defensive end because I think that that's probably a prime spot for a wide receiver, whomever is left at that point. Yeah, I, again, you know, is there a run on quarterbacks? Is there a run on receivers? Is there one yep. that's going to be there? And, you know, I think there's a lot of things to consider before um, we'll know what they're going to do. Um, Mark, um, Peoria, Matt checks in. He says, I believe I have a lot to learn about this guy. So we got that going. We got a pun on, uh, on Latu. So here we go. 
Uh, All right, buddy. Uh, Thank you, pal. Yeah, you look beautiful. You care deeply, and we can't wait Uh, to hear you on the clock. The specials tonight and tomorrow, 6 to 7, exclusively from Indy with Mark Grody on uh, the score. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're actually doing – we we have a special tonight, and then we're doing a bonus show on Friday, too. On the Clock will be on Friday as well from 6 o'clock until 7 o'clock. I believe Daniel Jeremiah will join me. Got to love that. He's a good guest. Hey, Grody, did you get a new stylist, too? Yeah. (laughs) David said your beard would come in too wispy to to keep up the floosy thing, but – I got to I'm going to have to see like like I've been saying like I am capable of growing a beard in that same color oh. as Pat Eberflus. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to keep this thing alive. We'll see. I think that I think that I'm going to have that prepared for training camp cuz that that's where you want to show up looking in shape and looking different. So, well, that that is what I am I'm trying to figure out. Brody, here. if you hold Hopefully. up your end of the bargain, we'll get you fitted in some flag and anthem and you will look like you look very debonair. Yeah, you want Oh, yeah. You won't even have to get in shape to look good with flag and anthem, buddy. Can I get a bushel of flannels from you guys? Can you get <laughs> used? Uh, you know, honestly, used flannels. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> bushels. <laughs> All right, buddy. thanks, Mark. God bless, Mark. Thank you, pal. Bye. See you guys. That is our guy, Mark Rohde. That's fun stuff. Can't wait to hear him from the combine with those interviews. Daniel Jeremiah is a good guy. He is the guy that coined. The confetti test. Yeah. And does your quarterback pass the confetti test? Can you imagine him being on the field as confetti falls to the ground and you're celebrating a Super Bowl? Can your scientist get you confetti? <laughs> Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to score. And, and free agency is like a, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a turkey and a, and a thermometer. You kind of have to... Go in, see what the temperature is, evaluate it. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Okay, that's Scott Boris. And uh, let's hope that the thermometer, that the turkey's cooked enough for the thermometer. Yeah, all right. That is uh, him from yesterday. We're delighted to welcome in uh, Tony Andraki. Now joining us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline is uh, Tony Andraki from the Marquee Sports Network. Download the Circa Sports app today. Tony, good morning. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing well. We enjoyed hearing uh, from, well, not so much Scott Boris, but definitely from uh, from uh, Bellinger. And, and uh, I thought that it was, you know, great the way that, um, that they kind of, Sat there, introduced him, talked about, you know, he was he was kind of champing at the bit, wanted to get back into camp, wants to play baseball. I loved what he what he said about how close they were last year. He said it's almost the same team. Um, what was your take from seeing Bellinger back with the Cubs and what that means for this season? Well, I think first off, uh, you said – not so much from Scott Boris, but I mean, you were laughing at that turkey baster line and uh, and thermometer, and I was laughing too. And then I laughed even harder when I saw how much Bellinger was laughing at it, and then Jed was cracking up too. So I thought, I mean, Boris had a per, per, couple pretty good like one-liners throughout the the press conference that I liked a lot too. But yeah, I mean, Bellinger, my one of my main takeaways from it was just that 
it really feels like one that he wanted to be back here and, and he made it happen and worked with his agent to make it happen, worked with Jed to make it happen. But I think also that he and the Cubs feel like they have unfinished business here. And that was what I, I really kind of took away from it is they, you know, he was talking about how close they were last year, you know, the one game away and all of that. He really, really feels motivated and, and seems genuine in that, that he's motivated to like get the Cubs back to the playoffs. So it reminded me a ton of the Dexter Fowler thing eight years ago when he walked in the, you know, in the middle of spring training and it was because of unfinished business. And that was the term that we heard so much in 2016. I'm not saying the Cubs are going to win the world series this year. I'm just saying it reminds me a lot of like adding that one almost final piece to the roster because of the unfinished business and bringing the the group back together. Tony, I got to ask though, why was Scott Boris even there? Tom Ricketts had to have signed off on it. Jared Hoyer, had to signed off on it. Yeah, he had a couple good one-liners. He's always good for that. He is a powerful agent. We all understand that. He's not a Cubs executive. I just wondered, why was he there? <laughs> I, I don't know the exact answer to that. Um, I know that he's been at a lot of his you know top clients' press conferences over just the past couple of years throughout other teams as well. So, um, But I don't, I don't know for sure why he was there and uh, it is a little unusual to see the agent up at the table alongside the player, alongside the, the Cubs executive. But, you know, the agents are always there. You know, I think of when uh, Saya signed, like his agent was there and ended up holding court and uh, had like a media scrum after. It just wasn't at the table with everybody else. I know there was a lot of jokes and, and there was a, a very funny kind of double take toward uh, Jed when the question was asked about if, you know, there's going to be another uh, – move with uh, with a Boris client for the Cubs and, and, and all of that. Now, the, I've read it a couple different ways. Somebody wrote a story saying the Cubs are $30 million below the uh, tax barrier, and someone wrote they're about $5 million below the tax barrier. Regardless, a, and I know Jed was asked this, but do you believe they're done now? Do you believe this is the roster and you're moving forward and you got – the new manager and what he can do with the younger players, or do you think there is a possibility, how, however uh, unlikely, that they, they could try to grab another one of these uh, short-term deals with a, a Boris client? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic on any sort of like Boris client or major acquisition like that. Mm. I, I'm not saying I would rule it out completely, but I just think that uh, for the most part this team is done, and, and I think they like – they're pitching depth and stuff a lot in terms of, you know, adding one of those guys. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily say like a Montgomery or a Snell seems super likely there, you know, but, uh, or possibly even Matt Chapman, I, I guess I feel like Chapman's, you know, uh, what a year or two older than Bellinger. So he may be even more motivated to look for a long-term contract right now versus something like what Bellinger just signed. So I, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm not really optimistic on any of those three guys in particular, but for the Cubs, I do think for the most part, like they are done. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up adding another reliever. Uh, maybe it's, you know, a guy that, that isn't, um, you know, super highly touted or anything like that, but just another guy to add bullpen depth, particularly from the left side. I think the way the Cubs look at this overall though, is they have a full 40 man roster and even to get Bellinger on the 40 man roster, they had to trade away, Bailey Horn, a left-handed young reliever that they really like, but they had to trade him to the White Sox, get another young pitcher in return. So they they look at it as like a trade. They would have to trade one of the guys that they like off their 40-man roster 
in order to upgrade for somebody else. So anybody else that they would sign. So I think that's just kind of the way they look at it. And like you said, given that they're going to be close, I think, to the luxury tax, um, I'm not so sure on some of these guys. But then again, you know, who knows? Maybe things change. Maybe it gets longer into spring training here. And some of these other guys are like, yeah, fine, I'll take like a one-year deal. And then the Cubs come back into play. So I'm not saying it's particularly likely, um, but – I do think that there may be some things left on the table depending on how stuff shakes out. Whether in style or approach, what's been the most noticeable difference in Craig Council's spring training than previous ones in Mesa, Tony? And has he corrected one of your questions yet? (laughs) (laughs) He has not, no. Uh, So, I I mean, I just got down here yesterday after his scrum, so I'm going to, you know, talk to him now. Uh, He has not corrected any of my questions as of yet. Uh, just in general, whenever I've talked to him, you know, at convention or uh, his introductory press or anything like that. So uh, we'll see. I'm sure I'll get one at some point. Um, but I think the, the most noticeable difference for me is just like the fresh eyes approach to it all. You know, this is a guy who had his opinions, his own thoughts on the, the Cubs organization from playing against them and trying to beat them for so long. And now to come over and and I think that that's really interesting, but also really valuable too of like, you know, he knows what a guy like Hayden Wisniewski, who's a young pitcher, uh, can do to be successful. And, you know, a guy who hasn't like fully uh, realized maybe that potential yet at the big league level, or a guy like Edward Alzelay, who has filled a bunch of roles and pitched against the Brewers in a bunch of roles. And, you know, now he was the closer last year, like, but does council take a fresh approach? I, I don't know for sure that Alzelay is, is the closer this year or not. So I think it's just like a ton of things like that. But I think that that can also be really valuable, too, when you're talking about a group of, honestly, a lot of young pitchers, but young players in general that will have an impact. And I think maybe the most noticeable thing could end up being Christopher Morrell. Like, does he stick at third base? And if he does, is it because they decided, like, hey, let's work him out for sure at one position all spring, which is not something they've done in the past. And, you know, how much does does his council's experience seeing these players – his experience as one of the top managers in the game, but also his experience as a utility player who won a lot in his big league career as a front office executive. Like how does all of this come into play in his perspective? So uh, it's one thing that I'm going to continue to watch throughout spring for sure. He's Tony and from the marquee network. And we were talking earlier. You got to love the stuff that Bellinger said about Pete Crow Armstrong. You know, he loves the kid. He, he has a good relationship with him. He's a really good kid. His presence, however, would seemingly indicate that um, that maybe the best move the Cubs could make would be sending him to Iowa so he can work on his hitting, etc. Or do you believe in the idea that Pete Crow Armstrong could be a uh, a valuable piece as a as a late inning defensive replacement that would allow a Bellinger to be a late inning uh, defensive replacement at first base? I mean, do you? How do you view Pete Crow Armstrong's role on this team with Bellinger back as the starting center fielder? Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, Bellinger spoke so highly of him, but I think the main takeaway for me there was the fact that they continued a conversation throughout the offseason, which Bellinger said, you know, he he spoke with PCA throughout the offseason, obviously even before he re-signed with the Cubs. So I think that's valuable like leadership and that's something that PCA can learn from and, and take moving forward. I mean, what better guy to learn from as him, you know, to, than Bellinger. So I think that's huge, but yeah, as for his role, I mean, if, if PCA is going to be up here in the big leagues, 
it's going to be, I think, to play a majority of the time, maybe not every single day, but I don't think it serves him well, a guy that by all accounts has a bright future as a big leaguer. I don't think it serves him well to be just a defensive replacement or mostly a defensive replacement or pinch runner. So I, I think that if he were to make the opening day roster, which is certainly possible, maybe seems a little more unlikely now that Bellinger is back in the fold, I think it would be because he would play a bunch. And I, I do think that the, the DH question is something that lingers that is a possibility of a path to playing time. Like, you know, it could be that Michael Bush is, you know, he hasn't played a ton of first base in the pros he has in college, but like maybe he struggles there or the Cubs like his versatility. He could play second or third, you know, he's dabbled in the outfield as well. Like maybe there's that option. Like we said, Christopher Morell, you know, can always go to go to DH as well. Bellinger can get, you know, a half day off in DH. So I do think that there could be a path to playing time for like PCA if he were on the big league roster. But I think right now it looks like a Mike Talkman is a guy who could either fill a DH role, mm. be a fourth outfielder type of guy. Uh, then PCA right now, the veteran bat, a guy who could lead off all that kind of stuff. That's the way I'm looking at it. But things can change throughout camp. And really the, the arrival of Bellinger now means that the Cubs just need Bush or PCA to hit. They need to hit on one of those two guys in spring and go into the year feeling confident about that. Whereas previously they needed both of those guys essentially they need to hit on both of them and feel confident and comfortable with both of them on the big league roster there's a lot of chirping in the division from the reds and from other maybe the cardinals are confident but tony when you look at it you're right they only need one of those two rookies to hit but are the cubs better than last year because you lose candelario you don't have stroman you have bellinger coming back certainly you have imanaga you in the rotation but are they better do you think and if so why I do think that they're better for a couple different reasons. Like one, I, it, you, Jed pointed to this a bunch and the Cubs talked about the whole uh, like performing, not performing very well in high leverage moments. So they're by the run differential, all that stuff, they should have won 90 games last year. Now they are what their record says they are. So they won 83. They missed the playoffs by one game. That That's what actually happened. But I think the team on the field was a team that was capable of winning up to 90 games last year. So if you're bringing back most of that crew, obviously Stroman's the one really big loss there, but I think Imanaga can possibly put up, you know, similar numbers that the Cubs are very hopeful for that. But I also just like the, the pitching depth and some of these young guys that are coming in, you know, whether it's Jordan Wicks or Javier Saad or Hayden Wisniewski, who I mentioned, or, you know, Caleb Killian's looked good this spring. He's a guy that I think some people have forgotten about it. Uh, there's probably one or two other guys in there for sure. But, you know, then there's Drew Smiley around. And then is Kate Horton come up at some point? Does Ben Brown help out? Uh, some of these other youngsters, like Matt Shaw's looked good. Does he help at some point this year? Does Michael Bush take that next step that the Cubs think he can? I think there are a lot of ifs, for sure. There are, there are a lot of question marks. But I do feel pretty confident the Cubs can be better than last year because of the council effect, because I think they got unlucky and performed poor in high leverage moments last year, which is randomness you know it could turn very very easily for this season and i just like their overall like pitching picture that and these some of these young guys that can like help take the next step this season i know the candidates and i know they're going to use the dh position to move a lot of guys around and everyone gets an opportunity etc but do they have a dh is there anybody in particular that you would say is gonna line up there more often than not 
No, that is a really good question. I don't know who that would be. You know, they have right. a couple of these minor league signings. Uh, David Peralta and Dom Smith are two guys who can certainly factor into that mix, but they're both coming off a couple injuries and uh, surgeries and stuff from the off season. So there's no, I, I don't think either of them are going to be ready by opening day. Maybe there's like an outside chance of it. Uh, but also that goes back to the 40-man roster we were talking before. They would need to c- clear a spot in the 40-man for one of those guys. Same with Garrett Cooper, you know, who's right. another minor league signing. So I think those guys maybe factor in at some point, maybe whether that's like April or May. Uh, but, yeah, right now, I, I don't know. It could be like a talkman. It could be just a rotating spot where council gives some guys like a half day off and, you know, maybe talkman plays right field and say a DHs or something like that. I think there are a lot of options, but – there's no one guy that I would point to and be like, yeah, this guy is going to be the DH more often than not. Great stuff, Tony. Thank you, buddy. Great catching up. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. That's Tony Andraki from the uh, Marquee Network. Do you like that? No DH? Is that a good thing? I think thing? it's on brand for Council. I think he likes the versatility mm-hmm. with his lineup, and he's going to see different matchups that he takes advantage of. He's going to be heavily, I think, immersed in the analytics. So it doesn't concern me as much as it might otherwise. Mm. You like it, Dustin? That they're good for you. I I get it based on the roster construction, yeah. um, and I think you see, telling the, the only problem I have with it, and and I go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I I just I don't know that Michael Bush is a lock at what he's doing. Right. You know what I mean? Has he locked down first base? You just don't want to, because then Patrick Wisdom would be the first base. Right. Man, well, that's the other. That's the, the whole DH. other part of this that we got to get yeah. into is like yeah. who's who's is Bellinger the starting center fielder? Don't know yet. Why was that not more addressed yesterday? I was surprised well, by that. Well, I, I thought – Boris was, was an, there. Isn't there an assumption that he is? Because Boris was there hogging the microphone. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we come back. Molly and on the score. Just your thoughts on Bellinger and uh, – Yeah. Might be coming in here. Yeah. No. Can't. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> need to be more skilled in how you would ask that and I could answer that. <laughs> just a little just a little tip. <laughs> think about that. I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job. Just think about it. Molly and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score. Wow. Think about it. Craig Council correcting yeah. a young questioner at Cubs Camp. Mm. And uh, that's the place to do it, I think, if you want to do that, if you want to engage. Craig Council seems like one of those managers, coaches, guys that we deal with who want who, who takes those conversations seriously, and he wants you to be prepared. Did you have a problem with that? No. Did you? No. No. I thought I, it was funny. I think we all have been in that situation before. I, and, I, and I do kind of bristle every time you hear a question that begins with talk about. Oh, I, I don't talk, like about, talk about questions. And, or just ask for – you have this pause in the statement that you make, and then you expect the interviewer mm. or the interviewee to fill the gap. So I didn't have any problem with that. He did it kind of tongue-in-cheek. and so that, But I think that's also indicative of the kind of things you're going to get from Craig Council. A little bit unorthodox definitely intelligent and things that maybe we're not used to yet. Um, Here's my question for both of you guys, if you wouldn't mind, do you believe Michael Bush has locked down first base or will have locked down first base by the time uh, you get out of spring training? 
I don't think you can answer that without it's just going to be an educated guess. There's I don't think there's any definitive answer, and I think that's the beauty of bringing Cody Bellinger back because if the answer is yes, Michael Bush was blocked in L.A., he's going to be a major league hitter the way he was, the PCL MVP, absolutely, Molly. Then you're thinking, okay, Cody Bellinger is going to play center field, and that's the way it's going to go. Or, boy, Michael Bush looks like he wasn't ready for prime time. He's a 4A player. He's this late, this year's version of Matt Mervis, and he's not going to cut it because look at PCA go in center field, and that way Cody Bellinger is your first baseman. So, Dustin, do you have an answer? Well, I'm kind of the same way, David, but that's also why I believe, especially on the field, the positional players, not so much the pitchers, but why spring training matters, especially for the Cubs right now. It does matter. Of course it now, does. Now, he said the results the don't results. matter. And but the results, like the final score or like the results of like I was one for three or I was two for four think, or okay, which let, results? Let's put it in the context of Cody Bellinger. He had a great year last year by most accounts, right? Great year. Analytics, people looking at it differently, a little closer, maybe he didn't. A lot of soft contact, a lot of this, a lot of that. I think sometimes when you look at the results, you get caught up in the numbers. What Craig Council, I think, is saying is that when you say results don't matter, you're going to see things that may, all right, this kid's got it, but he's just having some bad luck. He's maybe hitting 211, but I think he's going to hit and do what we need him to do during the regular season. So he sees okay. maybe a different game than we see. Okay, so – then the question becomes, what's more likely, Michael Bush starting at first base or Pete Crow Armstrong starting at center? Better question. That, that's what, Better that's question. what you're asking, effectively. My, right. More likely is Michael Bush starts at first base, Cody yes. Bellinger's in center, fielder, is in center field, and Pete Crow Armstrong starts in Iowa. Dustin? Because, yes, because that provides you with more pop, and Cody – while he's not as good as PCA at center field right now, more at than center good field enough. right now, he's yes. not yes. as good at that, but well, that's it. But you know, the offense obviously better, and obviously um, PCA hasn't proven, but he could prove. The, 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 big, the other, on top of that, and I'll agree with this, but is it better for PCA and the Cubs for him to be the seventh inning replacement guy out in center. That's what Bruce argued. Bellinger moves to first at that point. Yeah. Or is it better for PCA to get in four and five at bats every day in AAA Iowa? Well, and I know at some point you could have both, I, but. I, I think that's a good question, and every baseball person might answer that a little differently. I'm okay if he's the defensive replacement, steal a base guy that gets two starts a week. Because I don't think Craig Council is one of those old school managers where guys are going to play 150 games. Unless you're Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner, I don't think you're playing 150 games. So, so my, at the same position. my answer to that question is to start him in Iowa. And if he gets all hotted up with his bat, you would bring him up. But I would start him with as many at bats as he can get because my concern isn't. For him this year, it's for him moving forward. I think that's conventional wisdom and certainly defensible. The only reason I have a little bit of hesitation in agreeing with it wholeheartedly is that they made that mistake last year with Christopher Morrell, and they waited way too long to bring him up. It. And they corrected They did, that but decision. they lost out in 15 home runs or whatever he, he hit at I Iowa. Think, I don't think PCA's hitting 15 home runs. No, no, but I mean the offensive power or the offensive punch, he's not, he's not a home run hitter. I'm not comparing them offensively. I'm saying whatever growth – that they wanted him to show at Iowa, he could have been producing at the major league level. He was ready, Morrell. 
maybe PCA is just as ready. I would worry a little bit that you'd be wasting those at bats, those quality at bats in AAA when you could use them in the NL Central. 312-644-6767. That's the telephone number. Let's stick with this a little bit because there is another element to this thing that we have to bring into it. It's Mully and Juan the score. That's that's it, honestly. I mean, we were so close last year. Really got banged up towards the end and, you know, fought fought till the very end. We got so close and, you know, for me to come back here with the almost the same team, you know, to experience playoff in Chicago is something that I want to do and it's something that I want to experience and it's, you know, big part of the reason why I did want to come back here. Molly and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. That's Cody Bellinger, his uh, introductory news conference yesterday. Yes, he has resigned, and he wants to be back to go to the playoffs. And they were close last year. There's no doubt they were close, but they did fade down the stretch. And perhaps uh, they've made good enough moves in the bullpen to prevent that from happening. That's kind of where... Things fell apart a little bit, if you will, uh, but they were tired at the end of the year. And uh, and you mentioned already that you don't believe Craig Council is going to be playing guys a ton of games and you'll be uh, stretching things out a little bit for people and you'll be giving everybody an opportunity and you won't be stuck in uh, – That's just an educated guess. Wear out mode. I don't know that he's addressed that directly, has he? I, I, that's just my own – Yeah, your view of him. View of it looking at, okay, Bellinger's going to play – Probably close to if he stays healthy. This is all predicated on health. Mm. Got to figure Bellinger's going to play 145, 150 games between center and first. Nico and Swanson, they're not getting many days off, right? Suzuki, unless he struggles, likely is your everyday right fielder. Ian Happ, okay, stays healthy. He may get 100. So they have some everyday okay. players, but I just think he likes to mix and match. Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson and Nico. Playing a they're they're going to play 150 Nico, or, or yep. more. Um, Behind the plate, you have some options. Well, okay, so let's just talk about where there's some uncertainty. And I don't even know if you consider this uncertainty, but you you made a trade with the Dodgers. You got a rookie first baseman and Michael Bush that you want him to kind of lock down first base. You also – have decided to give a long look to Christopher Morrell, mm-hmm. and you want him to lock down third base. Now you got Patrick Wisdom as a backup at both those positions. You've got, obviously, Bellinger can play first base. You've got Nick Madrigal, who would be a backup at third base mm-hmm. and, and really like a utility Good infielder. piece. Yes. But I'm wondering, um, when you look at, at where you're at, what's more likely in your mind that that Bush locks down first or that Morrell locks down third? I would say that Morrell locking down third makes the most sense to me. I think the texter pointed out something that I, I alluded to earlier that if I were, nobody's going to advise Craig Council. Kind of, sounds kind of silly to say if I were advising Craig Council, but my opinion would be. The way the Cubs have leaned into run prevention, defense and pitching, right? They like their starting depth. They're going to like their bullpen. When you, have the, when you have their experience in kind of building relievers and getting something out of nothing, you like that. So pitching and defense. I believe that 
Pete Crow Armstrong in center field and Cody Bellinger at first base is your best combination for an everyday lineup. Really? More times than not because wow. it leans into defense. And I think that Pete Crow Armstrong, it takes some of the pressure off him offensively if you still are telling him that you're going to play him more times than not. Now you're going to, within that, within that framework, you're going to have flexibility. You've got to because that's the way council manages. But my everyday go-to game one of the playoffs lineup right now would be leaning in defense, Bellinger at first, PCA in center, and your DH is either Talkman, Bush, wow. or Wisdom. That that you know, I, I guess I guess the problem I have with that, and and look, did you pay Cody <laughs> Bellinger thirty million dollars to play first base? Well, you paid him to you paid him to produce. I, I don't know that the, high, the richest contract, one year deal in team history is for a guy to play first. Well, I'll tell you one thing: your Craig Council doesn't care what he's making, hmm. and Craig Council's making out the lineup. And if he's making out the lineup, it won't matter what premium positions are getting paid these days in Major League Baseball. It will be what will be the give us the best chance to win in any given day. So I'm talking about this as a way of as the season evolves. It wouldn't surprise me if they end up prioritizing defense and using that lineup more times than not because that is your best defensive lineup. Morrell is a liability at third base, but that's the only liability that you have defensively. If you have Gomes or Amaya behind the plate and you have the lineup I just said I would favor, everybody's a plus defender. You've got gold glovers everywhere. And you've got PCA who doesn't have a gold glove but is is in the majors for one reason in that scenario. So I think that is the way I would probably project the Cubs going because it 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 it's all about the leather. Yeah, and I don't mean Jerry Reinsdorf. I, I find that fascinating. Well, what would you do? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to give a first baseman thirty million. I get Freddie Freeman makes twenty seven million. Yeah, so I get it. Uh, Freddie Freeman is one of three MVPs though on that team. I mean, they all make thirty million, right? Mm-hmm. Twenty seven million, whatever. Um, I'm just trying to think of who. But the thirty million dollars gives you Goldschmidt th- makes like twenty six yeah, million. But, but it gives you the luxury of, of the flexibility because if PCA isn't hitting or or isn't doing that under that scenario, then then Cody Bellinger can take but his heavy many, heavy okay. wallet out to center field. How, how many how many home runs do you need from a thirty million dollar first baseman? Cody Bellinger's offense is not going to be something that you question regardless of where he plays. He's going to produce enough for first baseman, for center fielders. I don't think that's going to be the issue. And I wouldn't I, I, I thought the reason he was so valuable was not just that he can play multiple positions, but that he can play a really important one in center field and also, you know, create offense and comeback player of the year yeah, and all that, that stuff. That is that, that is true. But you asked me what my ideal yeah. scenario is. That would be it, but it doesn't mean that you're going to play that way seven days a week. You're buying the flexibility and roster versatility that he affords you by being that guy who's going to produce offensively regardless of where he plays. Moving him around doesn't affect his offensive well, I, performance. But we're not talking about moving him around. You're talking about starting him at first base. Okay, you're, you're twisting my words here. I'm saying you're, you're that – You're twisting my you, melon. You, you asked me what the ideal scenario would be for the best Cub team or what the best Cub lineup would be. And I'm projecting that if they go to one lineup that prioritizes defense, that's the lineup. Regardless of what Cody Bellinger makes, you know, you're paying it. Then if it doesn't work out, you're paying him well to be a, be, to be a piece that you move around 
in different spots, regardless of – and wherever you put him, he's going to produce. So hmm. I would just say lineup A is PCA in center field. Lineup B would be Bellinger in center field. But both options are good ones. Um, Texter says, Bush, Madrigal, uh, Wisdom, Morale, these are not pieces of a championship team. I would disagree. I, I don't I, – I, you know – Christopher Morrell is a, is a 30 to 35 home run guy. Um, nobody's saying that uh, – who mentioned David Bodie? We're not we're – No not one inv- said Bodie. He's, he, the texter is t- texting in, Bush, Magical, Bodie, Wisdom, Morrell are not pieces of a championship oh. team. So. Yeah, I mean, if those four or five guys are in your lineup three or four days a week, correct. You're not – but but those are nice pieces to have as backups – Yes. No. No doubt and, about. And it. only one of those guys do I expect to be playing four Regularly. times a week, and that's Christopher Morrell. Right. The rest would of you... those guys would be a spot start here or there, coming home from a a road trip where you got what? back late at night. You got to start early on do a you, Friday. Do you think that? Do you think the best lineup is is uh, is including Bellinger at first or it's it's center? The well, when you say lineup, I want to. I, I need a. I want to clarify something. The best offensive lineup or the best defensive lineup or best overall both categories? Yes. <laughs> so you said yes to three questions. Um, I'm the cheerleader for PCA, so I won't be a hypocrite. I- I'm going to say PCA. Okay. But that's because that's why the Bellinger signing is so huge mm-hmm. because it gives the Cubs the opportunity to roll the dice a little bit on PCA yeah, from okay. from Jump Street. Because your de- designated hitter could be Michael Bush. Exactly. And he's a guy that is why is he why why is he so valuable to the Cubs that they wanted to trade for him because of his bat. His bat, not because so of his gold glove if, first base. If baseman. he's your opening day, if they're playing again, that's where Craig Council will mix and match. If you're if you're facing a right hander, then you're facing a left hander. Maybe it's different, but ideally Michael Bush would be your DH, Cody Bellinger's at first and PCA's in center field. That would be your A lineup, right? If everything goes according to plan this spring training and PCA doesn't take a step backward, Michael Tuckman is a excellent option as a fourth outfielder. Uh, yeah, I think I think PCA needs to take a step forward. I don't think it's about him taking a step backward. I think it's about him taking a step forward. And whether that's, you know, bunting his way on and stealing a bait, whatever that whatever that entails. It's it is the only concern with him is whether or not he's going to help you offensively, right? And, he should and, be in the he should be in every spring training lineup in my opinion. He should get as many just play the hell out of him and see just what just to see, do. just yeah, to find out. He right. should be playing he should get he had two doubles yesterday, right? He right. should get as many he should get three bat, three at bats a day. Three sure. at bats a day, every single day. If they got split squad, he's getting you know every rep five five at bats and put him up. And listen, put him up at the top of the lineup, just for the sake, not because he's going to do that during the regular season, just for the sake Got of him every getting. Inning. You can do whatever you want in spring training. Get him, get him eight at bats. <laughs> put a disguise, put a disguise on him. Switch his number. Make sure he shags he shags fly balls in batting practice. Make him do everything. Wear him out. I, you know what? What I find fascinating is like so, you know. You hear people say things like, well, don't sign a third baseman because it wouldn't help you because you would block Shaw and you would block Morrell in the right now. But don't you want the best team you can get? And wouldn't wouldn't getting 
a, a you know proper third baseman or a really well, good defensive offensive context. I mean, when you say don't sign a third baseman, I, I don't I don't know anybody has said that. I think they the concern would be don't sign a third baseman to a five year contract, right? Because you're overpaying Matt Chapman for three years that you're really not going to need him. Maybe four. I think the expectation would be if you get Matt Chapman on a oh, on a similar deal to Cody Bellinger, you take you say that yes, here's the pen, let's go win the division and maybe the exactly. pen exactly. And you know what? He can also play first. He can play anywhere you well, need him to too. He, he's got flexibility as well, and you would give you a chance to go for it in 2024. Maybe the Cubs don't feel like they're ready. I don't know about that. And maybe the price is too high. And the assistant general right. manager, special assistant to the president, Scott Boris, doesn't <laughs> believe that Matt Chapman would fit in this role but I don't know that you give up that idea Matt Shaw's coming I think the Matt Shaw's off to a very good start this spring too you could envision him maybe at the end of this year maybe at the beginning of next year being in a position to contribute given his bat so you don't want to block that guy you got a lot of options yeah the Cubs farm system is replenished that gives you flexibility at the trade deadline to deal them for something that helps now depending on where you are or it makes you feel better about using this season in the context of Cub history, recent Cub history, as 2015. You go deep in the playoffs, you set yourself up, and next year's the year where you run away with it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, and I and I think that the that the pitching is as important in terms of that idea uh, than the position players. I mean, they you know presumably the pitching is going to improve. On a yearly basis, you're going to be bringing another starter in to compete uh, on a yearly basis, given the number of guys they have that look as good as they do. No doubt about it. And we're talking so much about the everyday lineup. Mm-hmm. This season will dictate. Well, uh, this season will go as as far as exciting pitching will take it. Yeah. I believe you need to get somebody to replace Stroman's performance in the first half of last year. Who's that going to be? Do you trust Jamison Tyone? What about Imanaga? Is that going to be a guy that steps forward and makes a transition quickly? You've got some young guys. Ben Brown talks a good game. I mean, he is a confident young man. If he's as good as his uh, on the mound as he is at the microphone, this guy's going to be in the starting rotation sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. What about Kyle Hendricks? What's he got left? I don't know. And is Justin Steele ready to be that I, ace? I still think he's. I still think that Kyle Hendricks, because he never relied on. You know, power pitching. I think he will age well as a pitcher. I think so. He already has. I yes. think that's a good. Justin Steele. Does he have another ace season in him? Brandon doubts him. I don't know. I think that you know that's a Why good does question. Brandon doubt I'm him? not quite sure. All I was saying was I want a true ace. I'm not saying St- Steele could be a true ace, but <laughs> we. I'm just saying maybe a good two. Like I remember Dustin was talking about it before the season was even going. As the season was going. We got a lot of good two, three guys. Don't you I, hear the doubt in his voice? It's, he yes. could be. Yes. But, it's, no, it, he could be. But it's dripping. It's dripping. It's, he's not an ace. It's dripping. He's not an oh, ace to me right now. Back. No. All right. When okay, he's 10 fine. and 1 and he's the NL starter in well, the All-Star game, we're bringing that back. Okay, all right. All right. Wow. Now you just now you do it. Now I'm saving that. Now, now you have cursed him. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't tick off the guy that brings back the sound every day that yeah. makes me sound wrong. <laughs> I the, can't wait till tomorrow's it's, open. It's not the sound that oh, makes you sound that's wrong. That's me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait till 5.30 tomorrow morning oh. to find out what Brandon has come up with to make me look bad. I'm just saying, wouldn't you like like a Jordan Montgomery, a, B- a Blake Snell, 
added to that. Now yes. you're rotate. Now yes. you're starting. That, it's that changes solid. everything. Yeah, fair enough. That drops everyone That's a, good a point. spot. That's that a good makes point. Imanaga less important than he is now. I just think the Cubs have. Young pitching depth that is full of uh, based on potential, and yes. that's a loaded word yes. and it gets people fired. It does. But Jordan Wicks, Ben Brown, Cade Horton, Hayden Wesneski still has some stuff that you want to take a look at. It, it, that's like you know that's going to be the big move. That's going to be your like trade deadline ad. You know, maybe maybe a month or two months into the season, you're going to bring him in, and that's going to be the that's the guy that has a lot of special to him. Maybe Horton, but I oh, think, I think ben Horton, Brown is the one. Horton is considered more of a sure thing than Ben Brown. I think Ben Brown has a higher upside potential. I would disagree opinion. with that. I would, I would, I, I would, I would bet you right now on February 29th, the next time that there is a leap year, I will say Kate Horton will be ahead of Ben Brown. I think Ben in terms Brown's of major league be pitcher, seriously good uh, pitcher. Talk to me on February 29th, 2028. Like. Yeah. Okay. The next leap year. Can we not speak till then, or should we continue? No. We got 40 minutes to go. Okay. I was hoping we wouldn't have to. I can only talk to you in 2024. <laughs> in the next leap year? 28. 312 644 I don't want to talk about the White Sox. We could get back to some Bulls talk because they won a game. The problem is it's kind of a one-off. I'm not sure. How they're going to match yeah, up tomorrow? That, I don't know what to make of them. Identity crisis. Weird week. Yeah. Identity crisis. Good word for this week. I, I want to touch on the Bears White Sox connection. Oh, th- this. I, I want to address that. There's another thing. Again, I, I want to ask you about that. I can't see them again. Can't imagine them sharing an elevator, let alone doing a Zoom call. Well, let's talk about it when we come back. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, six seven of the score. Well, my first question would be. Is that big piece of land in Arlington Heights big enough, as we've seen in other cities, is it big enough to support two stadiums? Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Yeah, so this is what we're talking about now. So this, let's just fill everyone in on what's going on. Crane Chicago. Craig Chicago wrote a story saying that the Illinois legislature would like to see the Cubs and the Sox operate in unison. Bears as opposed and Sox. The Bears and the Sox. The, Cubs and yep. the, Sox. Mm-hmm. the Bears and the uh, White Sox operate in unison as opposed to combating for that money. And there is some money that's sitting there that has to be decided upon relatively quickly and um, both these teams are trying to build new stadiums. I, I still, I still question the sincerity of the Bears building a stadium in the South Lot. Still don't understand how that would be better for them being in partnership with the Park District on a new building there and all that that would uh, entail versus owning their own property out in Arlington Heights and building their stadium there. This has been waylaid or tied down, whatever, delayed uh, by the idea that the school systems are looking to tax the property based more on what the Bears paid for it than what they used to tax the racetrack, right? So this is kind of a weird reality where the Bears 
don't want to pay the tax structure that the Arlington Heights people are suggesting that the school system is looking for, and they're not getting the bargain that they thought they were going to get, and so now they're looking elsewhere. Meanwhile, the White Sox want out of their building. They want to build on the 78, but they need tons of money to do so, and so they went down to Springfield and showed their renderings, and they didn't make an ask, but they are looking for reportedly a billion dollars in order to make that happen. Uh, So the response from the legislature has been, rather than try to figure out who gets this money or splits up the money, why don't you guys talk to each other and come to us as one entity? I think that tells you how difficult it's going to be for either entity to persuade the legislature into providing public assistance. And I think that's probably the way it should be. It should be difficult and it should be um, the exception, not the rule. And I, even though it's happening in other m- professional sports cities with other MLB and NFL uh, projects, stadium projects, I, I don't know that Chicago or the state of Illinois needs, needs to necessarily just make it so it, it, the trend continues here. There are a lot of complex questions that have to be answered. I think that combining the Bears and the White Sox interests would make it even more complicated. You have a very... <laughs> You have a very small – I think you reduce the number of possibilities more than you increase them by doing that. You also complicate it in that, again, the primary objective, the way that we have all understood this, when the Bears embarked on this project to break the lease at Soldier Field, where this is 2033, sure. right? Yep. They've got a lot of years left at Soldier Field contractually. To get out of that, Why? They want to own their own stadium. Yes. They want to own their own stadium. They don't want to be co-tenants with anybody. They don't want a landlord any longer. How does it, How does That's aligning cool. their interests with the White Sox accomplish that? I it, don't think it does. So how realistic that, is that? And, David, that that's the one question that I can understand. I, I really can, from a perspective, understand how the White Sox interests – might be served by combining with the Bears, be it at the lakefront or be it in Arlington Heights. Presumably in Arlington Heights, it would be a separate building, though, right? They're not going to go into a dome. You're not going to play baseball in a dome. Has that been specified? Has I, that been clarified? I, I, I don't know that we've got. I, I think any it's very vague right now. It's what if that is part of if that's part of the conversation. Maybe that has a little bit more feasibility only because of what I said in terms of owning your building and also because of the financial benefits the Bears may enjoy by selling that part of land to the White Sox. But do the White Sox want to move to Arlington Heights? Are they going to get a sweetheart deal from the Bears to do that? See, that's the one thing is like, I don't understand what what would be in it for the White Sox to align their interests if they're moving to Arlington Heights. Yeah. Now, I, if they're going to build something like that on the on the south lot, but they're not going to. Okay, that seems re- ridiculous. Yeah. Are they going to share a building? I listen. So this, I, the, the, the whole thing it's it seems like the legislature. Hey, why don't you guys get together? And I don't think it has anything to do with them sharing anything. I think it's more like okay, we'll take half the money you take. Half. I think it's all about the financial monies available with the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority. And what they want to maybe pool these resources and have them split it. And if they can do it in a, with a joint effort, it makes it easier to do that. 
it just doesn't seem real what, realistic the, or feasible. If the if the if the White Sox were to move to Arlington Heights, wouldn't they be further north than the Cubs? <laughs> I'd have to get out I mean, the map, I, but I think I, technically I just, they would be. Definitely. Yeah. You know, they think certainly, about Addison West versus whatever. You wouldn't have the North Siders and South Siders any longer. No. No. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, and I don't know if that was the intent of the South Loopers. The conversation. The South Loopers, the South Loop <sighs> hitmen, I like. I like that idea. Pay for it. I like that idea. Pay for yourself. If, pay for it yourself yes. is what I meant. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I the but I think that this suggestion and I and I I'm not faulting. I think Cranes has covered this very thoroughly. I just don't understand. I don't understand what it means. Didn't expect this. No, I, I just don't and understand. I, I think it's a concept that put, was was maybe derived from the the, the desire to limit the public funding to two teams. So let's pull your resources. And maybe we can just give you one pot. And you can, and, I, and I, even then, I don't know that I want him giving him a pot. Okay, here's the problem with the whole thing, as far as I can tell, that when um, when Jerry Reinsdorf started talking about building in the South Loop and what they would need to do, so um, it, you know, after his trip to Springfield, he did talk. He went out to lunch with Cranes, and he sat there and he talked about the future of the White Sox and how they have to have an anchor to keep them in Chicago yeah. and yeah. the neighborhoods not producing at the ballpark. And, and Jerry believes that if you, if that, that, that when he shuffles off this mortal coil, it's Michael's responsibility yeah. he, to sell the team to the highest bidder, to make all his partners money. And that means leaving Chicago. He found a controlled environment. He found a, 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 a reporter conducive that he felt was conducive to him being heard, and he answered questions that he knew that were coming. That's what he did, right? And, and the day after he insulated himself from questioning, exactly. he found he found his he, audience. And so he puts on the poor mouth, and he says that they got to give him a billion dollars, or the team's leaving Chicago. I think that unfortunately, a lot of Jerry's threats and a lot of his kind of it all falls on deaf ears because of. What happened the last time? What happened to build guaranteed rate field? Uh, and, and really maybe even more so the idea that the guy shows up at the owner's meetings and goes to have a meeting with the Nashville mayor, which mm-hmm. is one of the markets supposedly looking for. It, it's like he you can't attempt to create leverage and then act like you have leverage based on the idea that well, whoever buys it is going to leave. People are just tired of it. They're tired of it. I don't know anyone that believes like, "Wow, you better give the White Sox money." I think it's there, kind there's of not the other really feeling. anybody in that line. There's no one. Imagine if the owners' meetings were in Montreal. And so, as a, and as well, I mean, there you go. That's we, another we, place that so you could use a baseball. Here, here's another possibility. But, go ahead. But I was just going to finish it by saying, I think that's. I think his situation is 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 in contrast to what the Bears are hoping to do. And I don't think that there is a much of a connection between what Jerry wants and needs and threatens versus what the, you know. The, well, certainly not the, the threat. Certainly not yes. the threat. The Bears aren't going anywhere. But no. in terms of wants and needs, I think here's where the, they, they do have paths that may intersect. And this may have been the purpose of, this message or this story or this idea. Whereas 
the legislature is serving as somewhat of a uh, of a mediator, and they're trying to bring two sides together and say, you know what, we heard from you, we heard from you, we don't have enough for both of you. Yeah, can you guys get together? Can you make provide some sort of unified front? Can you learn how to play together and share? Because you know what, we don't have enough money, or, or we don't want to pick one. So can you make our decision for us? If you're going to come to us next time, come to us with a unified message. Well, we want this much. I, I, th- I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's realistic. But, I, but what, what else could it be? I, because none of, these, none of these possibilities are rooted in financial reality. No. Because the priorities are all out of whack. If you're looking at the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago, they're all out of whack if you're asking for a billion dollars in public subsidies I mean, and you're not raising taxes, no, but you are prioritizing dollars that aren't going toward public education, police, uh, migrants, pensions, all kinds of things that should be higher priorities than a baseball stadium. So I don't know what their intent was, but to me, this is just the most the most unexpected yeah, I, I don't element understand. of this story. I don't understand. And the it. hardest to explain it, or understand. It, 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 the problem for me is that, that, the, that like, these, these are not puzzle pieces that you fit together and, ah, here's how we resolve it. I just think they're, they're completely separate entities. The three prospects, the one at the lakefront, the one at the 78, and the one in Arlington well, Heights. Well, the Bears don't need the White Sox as much as the Ex- White Sox would need the Bears. Well, that, the Bears don't the, need the White Sox at all. They that, got NFL money. That's why they it got, doesn't make yes. any sense. Why would you, if well, you're that, the Bears, align yourself with the White Sox? No, I don't think you There's would. There's no partnership there to be had. And, and, like, I mean, Dustin wants to say something. Let me just oh, make sorry. this quick point. No, he's waving. Well, how would the White Sox benefit by moving to Arlington Heights? Like, where is the White Sox fan base and is everybody hoping they move to Arlington Heights? Is that what's going to happen? Are there is there like a lot of Northwestern White Sox fans I don't know about? Northwest suburb. Well, White I'd Sox love fans. to hear from the White Sox fans. Like, what what would they think about a move to Arlington Heights? Uh, I, know, yeah. I, I don't think it would go well. But, end, but what I was waving my hand, a, hand an, what I raised my hand about, depending on the partnership or the level of the partnership. Mm-hmm. If Molly said, and I think you agreed that there is a big enough parcel of land in Arlington Heights, what the Bears now own, to put two separate stadiums up there. And when they do that, you would also have bars, restaurants, retail, hotel, maybe a casino, clubs, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the Bears are only up there 10 weeks a year, right? The 10 10 home games a year-ish. Okay. The White Sox are going to have 80 home games a year. At that park. So now if the Bears were to be the bigger owner of this area, now all of a sudden you've got 80 more dates of twenty to 30,000 people coming to bars and restaurants and clubs Hotels. And that, are, that are there. That's a fair point. And, and, and also the White Sox would then show a little skin in the game mm-hmm. by buying part of the 300 acres where their footprint would go. Mm-hmm. And the reason the state would get involved is because there would be uh, there would be tourists. There would create a lot of jobs. And it wouldn't just create jobs for 10 weeks a year. It would create jobs for 40 weeks a year, 50 weeks a year. 
That's conceivable, but that goes back to the idea the White Sox would need that and help from the Bears more than the Bears oh. need that to make their – But what their, I'm saying is – Because, we, Dustin, as much as you want to minimize the 10 dates a year, that's not really a fair description or depiction of what would happen if they build out there. The but, Bears are going to be making money, and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for that structure to, to bring in revenue. But guaranteed 20,000 people 80 days a year, that helps their bottom line. They're okay. going to recoup their money faster. People aren't just going to say, oh, let's go have a beer at the Budweiser Brew Park because this is where the Bears play on Sundays. The Sox fans stand for moving to Arlington Heights. Would it feel like they're moving? Might as well just I, go to Nashville. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know the answer to that. I think there's so much identity rooted in the South Side idea. Well, I, that I mean, Arlington where, Heights where make are a lot the Sox fans? Where do they live? Are there, are there a lot of Sox fans in Northwest Indiana? It feels like there are. Yep. Are there a lot of Sox fans in South Suburbs? Yep. Feels like there are. Are they, are they located? northwest of the city i don't know that that's the case bears fans are going to go wherever they need to go to see their team play because it yes. is only 10 times a year yes are Sox fans going to flock 81 times a year as you described to arlington heights to see a team that you know they're uh, I mean, so used to being so part are of the bridge are we back community. on the lakefront are we back on a on some sort of open air turning soldier field into some Open air baseball stadium while <laughs> they build a dome next to I don't know what that I, I am I'm confounded about just the ideas surrounding this thing. Well, I also it, it want just to hear seem, it seems incongruous to me. Right now we're speculating. We are, you know, talking about things that we have yet to hear expressed from anybody in an official capacity. I would love to know if the White Sox have seriously considered or have they talked behind the scenes with related Midwest or their own people? Have they considered moving to Arlington Heights? Is this something I, that I, we're just I can't a figment of our imagination? No, I, I just think it's because the Bears have this conversation about it. Then you throw out, you know, somebody said this morning, is there room for a ballpark next to yeah. a stadium? Probably. But, yeah. if, but if the state legislature is telling the them whole to. whole backstretch where all the, you well, know. It, but it's a reasonable were. conclusion to jump to if yeah. they're telling them to align their interests and to collaborate on this. Yeah. But I don't know if there's anybody in an official capacity behind the scenes, even quietly whispering about this possibility that the White Sox would consider buying land from the Bears and then building a stadium there. Yeah, I, I just think the whole damn thing doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. I and I and again, my fault. Don't under I haven't seen the renderings. Don't know what we're talking about, and I don't know. You mean the rent? There, are, you're assuming there are renderings of the Arlington Heights proposal. No, I'm talking about the only renderings I've seen is yeah. the 78. This is Scuttle the 78. Because you can't build a football. You can't stadium do that. There? No, no, you can't build a football stadium at seventy eight. Okay. I don't think so. Can you? No. So then the so, there. Not enough parking. Not enough infrastructure. Right. Because the football stadium is twice as big in terms of capacity. Yes. Because if you want to have a Super Bowl with a dome, I, you can't do that there. If you're not building Wrigleyville. No. In Arlington Heights, you'd be building like a giant kind of. Basically, you'd be building like a Meadowlands, right? We need another re rendering. Yeah, we, we need renderings. We need artists. Or surgeons or Dustin, something like that. can you do like just some stick people sitting in a building somewhere? Well, I was going to say, since it was my harebrained dumb idea, I can draw something up for you. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why that's a terrible idea. 
Which one? We two, two stadiums in Arlington Heights. I don't know why that's oh, a terrible no, I didn't, idea. I didn't say it was a terrible oh, no one idea. said it was a terrible idea. I didn't say it was terrible. No, no, no. Justin, Dustin, I, I said it wasn't. I didn't say that was a terrible idea. You've had terrible ideas, but that's not one of them. Yeah, what about the what about a floating stadium over the highway out there? An air Dustin, stadium. Well, you I, know, if the water if the water is still there where the racetrack used to go we're around. We're kidding. Yeah. We're kidding. No, yeah. Just listen, they, I compared it to Detroit, Dustin. I didn't yeah. say it was a terrible idea. I said you could have Comerica Park and Ford Field in similarly in Arlington. But I'm saying Heights. I'm trying to tell you how the Bears benefit to this. The, the, the Bears, if the Bears want to think like a big business, then what do you do other than the ten dates? A right. Year? Okay. Okay. They're going to get a concert. They're going to get one Final Four. They're going to get one Big Ten championship. Okay. So now we're up to fifteen dates. I'm just, uh, you're not going to have a hard time filling that building. No, uh, I'm talking about filling the bars and the restaurants and the hotels that you're going to put up round. a well, and you're going to have eight. And listen, okay. at least for a year or two, the White Sox fans will go to something shiny and new despite what's on the field. And by that time, there might be a change in leadership and ownership with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. I think we need to continue this tomorrow. Fascinating. 312-644-6767 is the number. We're going to bring in Dan and Lawrence to the conversation. We'll chat with them. A little bit of crosstalk. We'll do that next. It's Mully and Hall on the score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.